Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, October 21st, 2020, you're listening to episode number 465. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show is Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey, S.E. Hitton, what do you know about graphic novels, okay? What do you know, Joey Vercino? That's funny. I totally forgot that happened, <laughs> but that's funny. <laughs> Aaron Amos is also here. I have no idea what's happening right now. Yeah, it's the same thing that happens every week, Pinky. Quick version. Uh, S.E. Hinton, author of The Outsiders and Virtually Nothing Else, made a ridiculous statement about how basically graphic novels aren't reading and aren't books. Oh, and she okay. got called out by everybody. Yeah. And all it was, someone asked her nicely, hey, it would a teacher, wouldn't it be lovely if you had – the Outsiders adapted into a graphic novel, it could engage even more readers than your original book. And she went on, Miss Hinton went on a rant and oh. then got shut down by virtually everyone, yeah. including literally everyone in the world. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's good in the world. Yeah. Good, good on you world. That's <laughs> that is, we got to, we got to band together for something. We, we have got a great show planned for you this week. In addition to lightning rounds and some news <laughs> items, we have a fantastic and far-reaching interview with acquaintance of the podcast. Paul Cornell is Ooh. going to be in the building. Uh, later in the show, he joins Sarah and Bob for a great spot focusing on his upcoming limited series, co-created by Sally Cantrino, called I Walk With Monsters. That is coming from Vault Comics. First uh, issue hits the stands. On November 25th, tell your LCS. It's probably too late to order. No, no, no. Final order cutoff is this week, I do believe, so we're just in time. You heard it here, folks. Go to your LCS. Get on it. Get on it. Order it. Um, I've not read it yet. It sounds incredible. But, uh, well, you know what? We'll talk about that later. Anyway. He also also has a book coming out this week called Snifter of Terror. No, Snifter of Blood. (laughs) Snifter of blood. It, yes, it's it's all Edgar Allan Poe stuff. So right in line with the holiday. I love the word snifter in general. So I do, I do, I do not. That is not a really? word. Really? Come on, it's so much fun. Nope. It's fun to say, Joey. Mm-mm-mm. You get to pretend to be fancy while you swirl around the glass and you you're, act you're like you know what you're doing. Jacket. Yeah. Mm-mm. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Uh, before we get to some lightning rounds, I just want to throw a quick shout-out, a quick happy birthday shout-out to the Talking Comics podcast. What? This past Saturday, I mentioned it before, but it was our nine-year anniversary since the launch of the first episode 
of the Talking Comics podcast nine years ago on October 17th. We posted our very first little baby show with almost an entirely different cast. You were there. I was there. You were there. I am I am OG, man. I've been there for 465 plus, although I've been absent for like, let's face it, like 20 something of these by now. But um, anyway, yeah. Uh, so nine years. We, we've been around for a long time. And uh, not going to say too much about it now, but uh, we're looking to make some uh, chit changes in uh, the coming months. Uh, some really exciting stuff. We have some ideas. We have some I plans. I want to stay. I want to stay. Well, Bob, you're not going anywhere. You better not go oh. anywhere. <laughs> there is no talking comics without Bob Ryer. Bob. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, happy birthday, talking comics. Congratulations. I got you a cake. Uh, let's do some lightning rounds because we got a lot to cover on this show. <laughs> Joey. Yes. You, uh, kind of got the shaft last week, so why don't you go first? <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I, I have a very short lightning round this time, so All it's right. just like a little, it's like a little. Right. Well, I'm going to actually use the timer this week because we do have a bunch of stuff to get through on top of the interview, and I'm going to keep things moving. All right. So you got five minutes on the clock, my friend, and go. All right. Very quickly, uh, two TV shows that I've been catching up with and really excited to have back, one of which just ended, one that just came back. Uh, Lovecraft Country on HBO. Uh, this was based on a, a novel that I don't actually think a lot of people liked. But uh, anyway, Misha Green was the showrunner on the on the television show, which has been a really cool kind of exploration of horror tropes um, inspired, obviously, by Lovecraft through the lens of kind of the actual horrors of of, you know, racism and white supremacy as well. Tons of kind of like Afrofuturist elements to really, really cool show. Uh, starring Jonathan Majors and Journey Smollett, kind of breakout performances for both of them, although they've had huge years besides uh, Lovecraft Country. Um, the <clears throat> It's 10 episodes long. Just ended this past week. Uh, every week I watch this show and every week I'm like, this show is ridiculous. Like there are <laughs> things in this show. It's how I felt about the boys, but Lovecraft Country, I feel the exact same way. Like, there are things that happen on the show that are just, like, absolutely preposterous and absolutely, like, bizarre. Um, much of it is owed to kind of the genre stuff, but, like, it is crazy. I don't, I don't spoil anything in detail because I know many people are watching it. I know Steve wants to watch it as well. Um, but uh, it's – I like it. Uh, I think that there is um, – it's not the best show. And I really like a lot of the kind of uh, stuff going around on the Twitter that's like Lovecraft Country is incredibly frustrating as a show because it's got some really cool ideas. And then there are like stretches of each episode that you're just like, what is happening? This is too weird, too weird. Um, Lovecraft Country episode 10 also had a cool shout out to Afua Richardson, who's a really awesome Ooh. comics creator as well. So um, it was cool to kind of get her a plug there as well. Uh, Star Trek Discovery also came back for season three this past week. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago with, with the whole cat thing. There's a little cat in the first episode with this new character book. Uh, Star Trek Discovery is what kind of got me into Star Trek. I know that Carolyn and, and Bob, you guys have been talking about Star Trek for years. Um, and I love Star Trek and I, I, you know, the movies and all that stuff. I've never actually watched a TV show kind of, um, uh, like consistently. So I'm really excited that Star Trek Discovery came out because it was a great starting point. 
And I I binged it all once quarantine started, and I'm really excited that Star Trek Discovery has has returned uh, for season three. It's been about a year and a half, I guess, since a new episode has come out. Star Trek Discovery picks up um, with Michael Burnham. She's in the future now, like 900 years in the future after the crazy wormhole stuff from the end of season two. Um, and in this future, the Federation is no more. And she's kind of got to find her crew and figure out why. There's a beautiful moment, though, at the end of this first episode where she meets a dude who's hanging out in an old Starfleet kind of checkpoint. And he's there waiting for someone to come. He's waiting for someone from Starfleet to come. And he's like, I've been here because my father was here and his father was here. And I just held out hope. And Michael Burnham is like, yeah, that's what the Federation used to represent. And we're going to find that again. And I just started like crying at the end of this episode. (laughs) I was just like weeping. And he's like, he's like, he's like, I've been waiting here. I'm going to spoil it. But he's like, I've been waiting here for years because I'm not a commissioned officer because Starfleet ended before I could be an officer and I'm not allowed to raise the flag. I'm not allowed to put the flag on the wall. And she's like, as a science commander from Starfleet, you are more an officer than anyone I've met. And uh, they hang the flag at the end of the episode and they're like, we're going to rebuild. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm crying. <laughs> it was so good. I love it. It was wonderful. Um, so Lovecraft country, Star Trek discovery. It was nice to kind of watch those two this past weekend. Um, in terms of comics, I haven't been reading a lot. I've just been really, really busy. I'm going to jump on a lot of other people's uh, lightning rounds today. But I did take some time over the last couple of weeks to read the Iron Man 2020 kind of crossover event that Dan Slott and Christos Gage were kind of heading up out of the main Iron Man series um, uh, before Chris Cantwell took over last month. Uh, this was crazy. I kind of referenced it before, but like – Arno Stark, who's like Tony Stark's like like the like the Stark's real son. Tony Stark is like an adopted son. It's just a crazy thing that that Kieran Gillen did way back when. Kieran Gillen, I don't know if you guys know, but Sarah and I interviewed him a, a while ago. Really? But anyway, yeah, like that's besides that. the point. Yeah. Um, Arno Stark and Sunset Bane. Uh, uh, oh. uh, yeah, yeah. Like we're throwing back Sunset to like the Valco year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're like Arno Stark is convinced that he has to like fight off the singularity like when AI like merges with human consciousness. So he like that's my that's my timer. Oh, nice. So he shuts down all of the AI. He wants to like take over all the robots. Uh, It's a crazy, crazy event. And it's a little too campy for me. And I'm kind of like happy that Cantwell's kind of relaunching the book in a little bit more of a kind of uh updated tone because this this goes some places i'm just like this is this is bizarre like larry hama who we're going to talk about a little bit later because he's also doing iron fist in a, in a uh, this this winter but larry hama brings back his like wolverine android from the 90s named albert who has a best friend <laughs> robot little girl named lcd and they like kill a bunch of hand like uh, uh, like, um, uh, like, uh, gangsters in Ma- Madripoor. That's part of this crossover. So Arno Stark is over here, like, fighting robots. And then, like, Larry Am is doing this, like, Android Wolverine thing. Force Works is there. There's some great Machine Man stuff. Herbie, like, the fantastic. Yeah. He's like this, like, like, sass talking. Like, he's like, punching people in the head it's crazy iron man 2020 this is there's also some Ironheart, Riri williams stuff in there as well it is bizarre marvel unlimited though did a great job of kind of curating it in order so you can go on and read the whole thing if you're into kind of like campier kind of like superheroes versus robot stuff tony stark like is convinced that he's ai it's it's wild 
I had a good time with it. It took me a little while to read, but uh, Iron Man 2020. Cool. Check it out. <laughs> I have a Star Trek question. Okay. Okay, in, was it the last season of Discovery, they went back to Captain Pike and Number One and Young mm-hmm. Spock and whatever. Is that continued into this, or is that, am I going to have to wait for their season to begin They're doing They're doing a year? spinoff with them, yeah. This one is, so the end of Season 2, Star Trek Discovery, spoilers for a show from 2019, uh, is um, they, they do all this wormhole stuff, and Michael Burnham makes the choice and the crew of discovery makes the choice that they're like to stop the end of the universe. We need to go into the future because they have some code on their computer that like this like thing wants and to get it away from the thing, they go into the future. Um, and they make a decision like Starfleet makes a decision to like wipe discovery from the records to Ooh. avoid any knowledge of of like where the information went. So that's why discovery never existed in any of the previous shows, because it was wiped from the record. That's it was, nicely it was a, done. That's yeah, nicely a very done. nice yeah. little bow. I was like, good on you, CBS. Like it was yeah. a really nice choice. Um, so Star Trek Discovery is now like totally operating on its own 900 years in the future. It's really cool. Like all all new worlds. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm really excited to see what we discover Ooh. in the future. Oh boy. See, that's now that, that hits me in a way that Voyager did. Hmm. Yeah, I totally different. Because that would to me went back to the original roots of the original series, boldly going in strange new worlds. Cause they were in a place no one had been to before. Right. And right. their way back was all new people and events and whatever and you had kate mulgrew which yeah great (laughs) fine by me so this whole now could i see season two without having seen season one and be okay moving then into three of discovery and strange new worlds when it shows up yeah i i think so i mean there's some like character stuff that you're gonna miss that's i think like pretty pretty significant but like uh again to, I mean, the seasons aren't 26 episodes long, which is go. really the only thing that's like keeping me from like diving back in. And I know that you and Carolyn both sent me like episode lists to like highlight. Yeah. That's definitely <laughs> there. But like I was scrolling through and I was like, how are some of these next gen episodes 26 seasons long? Like that's crazy. Sorry. That was TV <laughs> back 30 episodes or 32 in yeah. some cases. Yeah, Wild. exactly. But that's um, how TV but was. These, these seasons are like 13 or 14 episodes. And they're like, I, I I've just really enjoyed I've just really enjoyed it. It's been really great to like be in Star Trek mode. I will say this though about like Discovery. Like there's like this fight scene in the middle, and I'm like, man, Star Trek Discovery is violent. Like there are like fights every episode. Like, well, like fisticuffs. Kirk did Kirk did a lot of that. I I can't I can't plead ignorance on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason why a lot of shows in the past were they had so many episodes in a season is because you have to get to 100 episodes to be able to do syndication and make money from reruns. So they would try to just get to that number. Got and now it. you just stream. So it doesn't exactly. Matter. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, but I like it. And Lovecraft Country is also great, too. You have to have HBO, though. And uh, it's not the best, but I had fun with it. Uh, HBO, for my benefit, at least, however people are still buying physical media, they did put out Watchmen. On DVD, which I bought and loved the bejesus out of. Oh, it's so good. It's so amazing. Lovecraft Country will be out fairly soon, too, I'm thinking, and I'll be able to pick that up and you, catch up. You'll probably like it. It's, it's like, got a lot of, like, B-movie elements, but also, Perfect. like, kind of, like, melodrama. Like, it is a melodramatic 
show. And I love that stuff. Like I thought it was like super campy, super fun. Um, but also like super twisted and super gory. So it was like, there were a lot of layers to Lovecraft country. Mm-hmm. Um, not the best. I'm wondering if there's going to be a season two, but I had fun with it. Perfect. Thanks, Joey. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I don't have any comments or questions. <laughs> I've not <laughs> watched. No What's there that? are no questions about Iron Man 2020. Like I'm telling you, like I started reading it because like when you open Marvel Unlimited, like it's the new like banner. It's like Arno in like his Iron Man suit with these weird like gear gears on the shoulders. Yeah, I'm like this is bizarre. Um, but I started reading it and I was like, oh, Machine Man. The Machine Man's always fun. Jocasta, right? A uh, lot, lot of fun with all the AI robots like coming out of the woodwork to like help Tony Stark as a as an AI. Um, but at the end of it, I was just like, that was weird. <laughs> like, I can't believe that this, like, crossed over into so many books. Like, it, there, was, there was Forceworks miniseries and Wolverine. And there was, like, uh, Machine Man had had some, some, some books as well and Ironheart. And I was just like, why, why is this everywhere? Like, do people really care about Iron Man that much? Um, but anyway. They it was do fun. now. They do now. <laughs> Oh, boy. I need to watch more Star Trek. All right. Talk to Carolyn. She's got more lists than I do, and I have plenty, but she's got even more. I just need to start with one thing and go from there. I'm not worried about any lists. I'll uh, cross that bridge when I come to it. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to Aaron. (gasps) Look at that. All right. I want my full lightning. All right. Oh, 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 wow. Volume, volume. Okay. Well, once you move up to number two, you get more lightning. Oh, look at that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get started. Go ahead, Steve. Start the clock. I started. Go ahead. Clearly, the clock means nothing because, you know, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, book number one Justice League Odyssey, number 25. Book number two Rorschach, number one. <laughs> okay. Can I ask you a question? Yes. How is it that you get to mention this this series every friggin' week? It feels like because it comes out just like is it really coming out that fast? <laughs> so not really. It, I think it comes out every other week every or something other, like yeah. that. So all right. So I'll give you a quick synopsis. Dark side kind of lost, but he succeeded in some ways. Heroes were lost, sorta. Everybody goes home to continue the good fight and batten down the hatches and gird their loins and all that stuff. <laughs> but none of it matters because death metal done. Yeah. All right. So. So, I mean, I mean, literally, the last page is like, oh, all right, well, death metal. So none of this had, made any, had any consequences. So anyway, I think I'm officially off just as we got to see now. I think I'm, I'm call, I wanted to get to this arc. I, I, you know, the positives are it's over and Jessica Cruz got a good story. The negatives are not long enough for this show. Uh, so. <laughs> Book number two, Rorschach number one, Tom King, Jorge Fornes, and Dave Stewart. So I wanted to read this book because I never read any of the other before Watchmen stuff that came out before. And I mean, my relationship with Watchmen is literally just the book, you know, the original series and the show that came out, um, recognizing that they are not in any way similar. But, you know, it is what it is. So essentially, this is 35 years later, post-Watchmen world, where um, our story kind of begins with the attempted assassination of a candidate who's running against President Redford. And so we are following this detective whose name I cannot remember, really, who is kicking off this investigation, trying to determine basically the basics about who the assassins are, their identities, what their motives are, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and so as we go through the book, you know, as a way to, as a way Tom does things, he sort of makes things in some ways really obvious, but in some ways very complicated and very sort of psychological and sort of cerebral. Um, there are clues that are dropped throughout the book that just creates this uh, further conflict with what the detective was hoping to find and what we actually saw. Um, and then at the end of the book, you kind of, as you go through the book and you're doing sort of the basics, trying to connect the dots between who's what, where and how and how they got there and what their role is and who's saw, who did what, when and how, um, you begin to realize that, okay, I think they're trying to make a larger point here at the end of the book that maybe things in Watchmen didn't end the way we thought we saw them end. Um, and there was some, some things that just not, aren't making sense. And it was just enough. Which is I just didn't as I was going through the book, I didn't say I wouldn't say that I loved it, but I liked the tension that was in the book. I really liked the, you know, the 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 idea that it is somewhat linked to the show a little bit. Um, I think there was one reference in there. I think they talked about Oklahoma at some point. Um, but it was just enough at the end to to wet my whistle and make me want to jump into it again. So I think I'm going to stick to it. I love the art for some reasons. The art just seemed to sort of work perfectly for a Watchmen book. Um, so we're going to see what happens with that. So the next book, Commanders in Crisis, Steve Orlando, David Tinto. So he had this daunting task. We all know that Steve Orlando is like a huge fan of superheroes. And so we're introduced to this team called the Crisis Command. We're doing battle in Washington, D.C. You get that opening you know, scene where you are getting to learn a little bit about these heroes and what their purpose is and what they do and their relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have these heroes called the Originator, Sawbones, Prize Fighter, Seer, and Nina, you're this Justice League type team, as you know, all these teams are. You have your strong man, then all these people with mental powers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, you, you learn a little bit about what they can do. Um, but as you go through the book, you begin to realize that, yes, even that, that's a good introduction because you're getting to see those things that you expect to see. But really, there's a layer underneath here that is a little bit more involved. And we learn that uh, each, they each have this relationship. I don't want to spoil it, but they each have a relationship um, that is unique to them. Um, and that brings them onto this team and, and that relationship provides them with, a, with some knowledge that will help them in their ultimate goal, which is to save this earth, save this universe. I may have tipped you off a little bit, but um, it's kind of in the title, um, Commanders in Crisis. Um, so if you know that DC Universe stuff and what a crisis means, then you kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, so I, it was an interesting story. Again, it, it didn't break any new ground. It gave you the it gave you the good superhero team feels. And that's what I was kind of looking for with this book. Um, so I, I think I'm going to keep going and see where it takes us um, and go from there. So then we have oh, and that book was by image, by the way. Uh, and so then we have Blake Undying Number One by Digital Fiasco. My team is Jason Cook and Ezekiel Rubio. So I'm going to read a little bit about what is said in the, the solicitors for us. So Blake Carson is having a bad day. His bank account is drained. His career is going nowhere. And his ex-girlfriend won't return his calls. Also, he can't die. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll move it along. Also, he can't die. So we have a scenario where we come in and we realize that Blake has been trying to kill himself over and over and over again. And he's marking on his little board all the ways that he's tried and failed to kill himself when he doesn't really know why he can't die. Um, and somehow, as he, he tries, he goes to his doctor. He tries to convince his doctor. His doctor thinks he's insane until he slits his throat and realizes that the doctor realizes he can't die. Um, he gets a call from his ex-girlfriend, who's like, "Yeah, the police just called me and said they found your severed head somewhere and they want to pronounce you dead. What's going on with that?" Um, and he's really just kind of annoyed by it. He's kind of annoyed. He's kind of irritated. Um, and he's realizing also, it's hinted at a little bit that the more he tries to kill himself, the harder it becomes to kill himself. So what? I don't understand about this book is how it keeps me wanting to read the next chapter, because by the end of these 27 pages, I have 
felt sadness for this guy. I felt annoyance with this guy. I felt anger. Um, I identified with his confusion. Um, and it kind of all just adds up to me wanting to see what's happening next. The only difference is there is no what's happening next because it's being funded, <laughs> crowdfunded for the next couple chapters. I think based on what I've seen on the website, they have reached their 150, 150% of their goals. So I think that's going to be happening soon. Um, so fingers crossed. Last thing I'm going to talk about, honestly, I'll be very quick, is story number seven and eight. I've been reading uh, Thor all along, but I haven't I sort of got behind on seven and eight. So this is post the Galactus beatdown, and Thor is trying to sort of put the pieces together on what he learned after his little uh, little look into the future and seeing what role Thanos, Thanos is going to play in that. So he decides to test a couple of theories, and one of those theories is that, well, one of those tests is that he throws his hammer into Brockton, Oklahoma, and apparently there is a history of Brockton, Oklahoma, because apparently Asgard wasn't once planted there, for those of you OGs. Um, and it's found by this character named Adam Aziz, this sort of ex-con who's just sitting out big, uh, sort of rebuilding cars. You know, nothing special about this individual at all. Um, meanwhile, Thor is trying to mend fences back in Asgard. Thor is trying to mend fences with Beta Ray Bill because, you know, the massive beatdown and breaking of his hammer that he gave him a couple, uh, couple issues ago. Um, and he's really just trying to make sure that he can mend those fences so they can surround himself with his friends because he recognizes what's happening in the future. Um, we also learn when we go back to Broxton that there was a reason why Thor threw that hammer there. He wanted to test a theory and his theory is that as he's realizing that kind of a spoiler, but not really a spoiler as he's realizing that the hammer is getting heavier for him to pick up. He's got a theory that maybe not so much for others. And if you've read SU seven, you realize that he's not wrong. And as Mr. Aziz becomes the new Thor. <laughs> so, um, and we move on to issue eight, where basically he and Tony uh, come together to try to figure out, to sort of exchange the hammer and figure out what's going on. Um, a good look into their relationship, how Tony is very annoyed with Thor because Thor posted Tony's private felt cell number on the hammer to make everyone call him. Thor was annoyed with that. He told him he did it because <laughs> Tony wrote on his hammer in the first issue of Thor. <laughs> and he's sort of just basically getting back and forth with him. But he's really, really what's going on here is Thor is trying to figure out what all this has to do with the future that he saw with Thanos. And he's trying to figure out how to get all the pieces in, in place in the ducks in a row so we can sort of deal with that moving forward. So I feel like there is a really good story that's going to be building up here. I'm, I'm more engaged in this ver this story arc, these first two issues. I'm sorry, this short this was a short arc, this two issues. I'm more engaged in this than I probably was in that first Galactus story um, because I'm kind of curious to see how this is going to play out in the general Thor lore. Um, but the story ends with, uh, yes, I said it, Thor lore. Um, the story did end with a little peek into um, a character that's going to be showing up in the uh, next issue, and his last name is Blake. So I'll let you figure out what that means. Anyway, that's what I got. <laughs> oh, <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I actually, uh, I, I read Commanders in Crisis number one, I think, last Wednesday. Uh, I don't really have too much to say about it. It, it, it piqued my interest. I'm going to keep going with it. Um, I know that Orlando likes to build with time mm -hmm. when he does when he does a series. I did find I mean it's a daunting task to build an event book over these are all brand new characters, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to allow for a little bit of leeway uh, with yeah. with setting this thing up. Um, didn't bowl me over, but kept me interested enough to go on to a second issue. I 100% sure. agree. I, I, that's exactly how I felt about it. I felt like, okay, this was fun. This was, you know, you know, I didn't regret reading it. I, you know, I wasn't, there was nothing that jumped out that 
made me think, oh, this is the best thing ever. You know, I didn't get the fire sector vibe. You know what I mean? It's like, this is yeah. the best thing ever. Like, but, I, was, you know. I went into it a little bit thinking it was going to be like, give me those like seven days, Catalyst mm-hmm. seven yeah. days vibes. Okay. Um, and it, it didn't quite land as well as the, the seven days stuff did for me, but it, yeah. it definitely, I would liken it to that experience. And I'm, I'm willing to give it a, a couple more issues to find out uh what he can do with it i'm always curious when yeah. uh, orlando comes out with something new that's how yeah. i felt about rorschach as well with the tom king stuff i agree about the artwork like the artwork feels like kind of an updated version of the dave given stuff from uh mm-hmm. the, the, the original yeah, yeah uh yeah kind of it's a little bit there's there's some time stuff and flashbacky stuff going it's it's it tom king's doing his tom king stuff right exactly like, okay it's there um, but it really wasn't until the end of the issue. I was reading through it and I was like, all right, we're doing this noir thing. Like, you know, like a little bit of that, like uh, all the president's men kind of like smoking dudes with their like suits yes. hair and, and coats. <laughs> and then the end of the issue happens and there's like a big reveal about the timeline and a kind of a, a big twist about like a big cliffhanger rather about like, oh, maybe, mm. maybe it's not who we think it is. Like you were saying. And I was like, oh. Maybe I will read issue two just to see <laughs> what happens, because to be honest, the first like three quarters of it, I was like, you know, this is not a while. Like, I don't need mm-hmm. Watchmen for this. Like I mm-hmm. get this. I get this over an image with like, you know, that Texas blood and, and, and all those like crime noir stuff that like Brubaker and Phillips does. But then there's this like little cliffhanger at the end that just like, oh, you know, uh, all right, I'll play along, you <laughs> yeah. know. Just enough. It was just enough to sort of to keep you hooked in. And I think they you're right. You're absolutely right that without that cliffhanger, there is nothing innately Watchmen about this book. Um, well, I'm sorry when I say that there's nothing that would connect with uh, a, a, a Watchmen lover, you know, in this book. Um, but that last little that last little uh, snippet there gives you what, you know, I think you probably are flipping through all the pages looking for and finally got that last snippet. So it's enough to just make you come on to the next one. I do think sometimes um, I don't want to say that sometimes King's writing overcomplicates things because I don't think that's the case. I think sometimes he tries to do a lot mm-hmm. um, right out of the gate. And sometimes it can get in the way of, the story being received and perceived, you know, what, well, figuring out what story is actually being told. Yeah. Because there's oftentimes so many moving parts and moving pieces that you, and maybe this is part of his master plan, that you kind of don't get to see how it all comes together and fits together until four or five issues down the line. Right. Where you have the, the, the remaining puzzle pieces and you can see, oh, it was a deer, you know? So, you know, and it's sort of like, you know, is he, is he crazy or is he just crazy like a fox? You know what I mean? So. But, but I wonder though, because like, I wonder that works well for Mr. Miracle and that works well for Adam strange, right? There were issues of Batman that we were like the sequencing mm-hmm. here and the pacing here and the transitions here don't work. And even though like we have now that entire run, essentially kind of like we can look at it. There are, there are just, page turns in those books that you're just like i literally don't know what's happening yep so i wonder if that kind of uh that sequencing transition moment to moment stuff that he does so well in books like mr miracle and strange adventures uh is going to translate over into into rorschach i also wonder 
like you're saying too, like if people are going to read Rorschach, because uh, it doesn't have that explicit connection until the very end, and we'll see what two offers. Yep. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think King is an amazing writer. I just think sometimes he, what he's trying to do, um, requires commitment. You know, and it, it's not something, and it's not always. It's easier to make that commitment like you said with a Batman because you know Batman has its lovers you know Batman people are going to read Bat. there are people who are going to read a Batman no matter what there are people who are going to read you know certain books no matter what but when it's a book that you know maybe doesn't have it's going to sound weird for Watchmen but maybe doesn't have a built in audience um, mm-hmm. is it going to keep people engaged like that so we'll see I mean I'm going to stay engaged I'm going to you know continue to read it because I kind of want to see where it takes what it started and what it started with and develops it. Um, but you know, yeah. I will say it's a, it's a, it's a more interesting story than before Watchmen was those, those spinoff books that they tried to do a few years back. Um, so across the board, the couple of were interesting, but for the most part useless. I kept hearing so much about Silk Spectre or something like that. that was, yeah. That was, that was the, the That was the best one. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I kept hearing. It was Amanda Connor as writer artist. Mm. That was a goodie. I have a question about Thor seven and eight, and it's more of an existential question to the to the group. But Aaron, you get to go first. Mm-hmm. Do you think the internet is going to lose its collective junk because there's now somebody else has Thor the way they yeah. did when Jane Foster picked up the hammer? No, because it's wrapped no. up at the end of it. It's just okay. like, it's it's wrapped up. It's really it was really just, it's it's it was a okay. Spoiler in three, two, one. Um, it was a well, it's not really a spoiler. It was a test. Thor has been, as we've been reading in the book, Thor has been realizing that the hammer is getting heavier and heavier. He's been hinting at it, and sometimes it seems like he's talking metaphysically, you know, metaphorically, and other times it seems like he's talking literally, you know, heavy as a crown, blah 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 blah. Um, but his theory was, if it's getting heavier for harder for me to pick up, is it getting? Would it, does that mean that anyone else can pick it up? And so that's why he threw it in the center of this town, basically, and basically had etched on it, pick it up. <laughs> you know, and someone this is picked Alice it up. Alice in Wonderland. It drinks me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, someone picked it up and were transformed. And, you know, so now he's got to figure out what does this mean? What, what is, you know, what's going on? And that's kind of, I think, what he's going to try to un- uncover. Um, in the next story, um, which, you know, hints at the return of Mr. Blake. Huh. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's got me more. Enga- I'll be honest with you. It got me more engaged in the whole Galactus story. Did I, I like this? I like where they're going with this. Mm. I, I'm out of touch with where Don Blake has been all these years. That has changed so much over the years. I'm not caught up anymore. Yeah, I have no. He was, he was he was he was he was his. Alternate identity, going back to Journey to Mystery 83, he was doctor with a cane trapped in a cave by the stone men from Saturn who hits it on a rock and picks up a hammer. And then a year later, it's, no, he really is Thor. And Odin made him into John Blake to teach him humility. And I know it's gone all over the place since. So we'll have to do some research to catch up, I think, once he shows back up again. I do want to say there was one part of eight that really really made me happy and it was when thor came back to collect his hammer and tony was there 
Tony being the jerk that Tony is, and he's like, something's going on with you, and I'm I'm not giving you your hammer back, and you know I'm going to keep this until I figure out what's going on, and blah 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 blah. Because yes, even Tony's able to pick up the hammer. Oh, but, see, that's and, nuts. And he, that's nuts. He's, he smacks Tony smacks Thor in the face with a hammer. Um, and Thor basically gives him that side eye look, and he's basically like, Tony, listen to me very carefully. And he was like, okay. Uh, he goes, do not mistake wielding my hammer for wielding my power. He goes, Mjolnir is not, he said, Mjolnir is not, or not, I am still a god. And you <laughs> are a man, a tin man in a lightning storm. That's and Tony's like, line. Tony's like, all right, as well as arguments go, that's a good one. He hands him his hammer back. I was like, all right, just to see Tony get put down was just enough for me to still want to pick up the if, next if, book. To, if I say this, if Tony Stark can pick up the hammer, nearly everybody else can. So, and that 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 yeah. was the point. That was, you know, what he's trying to figure out. What's going on with the hammer? What does that mean for the future? Cool. Sounds interesting. Thank you, Aaron. Mm-hmm. He costed me money, Amos. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I about to ask you if I should be reading Thor, and then after all this, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I I liked one through six. I didn't love it. And remember, I think I mentioned it on the show a couple times. Like, oh, yeah, I stopped no, reading about three issues in. That's about where I was, yeah. But yeah, seven and eight, I'm like, hmm, okay, this is this is going somewhere interesting. Um, and that conversation between him and Beta Ray Bill was just great. Uh, do I need to read this Blake Undying as well to get the full picture? Well, I mean, it's the only one out there, so yeah. <laughs> All right, be, smartass. It's so yeah, I mean, um, I just something about it just sort of caught me. I, I saw it. I picked it up. I was like, okay, let me give it a try. I read it and I'm like, I like the sensibility. I like this guy's sense of humor. I like sort of the, 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 you know, and one issue, like I said, 27 pages, there were so many different emotions that you got to watch this character. You were annoyed with him a, a couple of times. You were sad for him. You were sort of like, well, dude, what are you doing? You were rooting for him at one point. That's a lot to do in 27 pages. Yeah. So I, I really just I I appreciated it. And it looks like they've been crowdfunded for their next couple of chapters. They give you in the back of the book, they give you an overview of the next three chapters and what, what they're gonna sort of touch on. That is very cool. I might have to check that out as well. Okay. Bob. <laughs> Say when. You've got five minutes on the clock and go. Wonder Woman 764 by Mariko Tamaki, Steve Pugh, Romulo Fajardo Jr., and Pat Rousseau continues the adventures of that new dynamic duo, Wonder Woman and Maxwell Lord, without any real forward progress in the plot or characterizations, but at least the art was better. Captain America number 24 by Tanahisi Coates, Daniel Acuna, and Joe Caramagna is a two-tiered story that narrowly sees and, and sets up a big villain return for issue number 25, but also wonderfully sets up the next chapter of the Sharon-Steve relationship. Plenty of action and suspense with a lot of that happening as Sharon and Steve converse. Another fine issue from this team. Next up, Captain Marvel 22 by Kelly Thompson, Lee Garbett, Tamra Bonvion and Clayton Cowles. We're in the midst of a battle with an alien spaceship. Carol finds herself separated from Rhodey and Jessica by becoming unstuck in time and thrust into an alternate future year of 2052. There she meets up with a fully grown baby Jerry, Emma Frost, 
as well as some scions of friends long past. The Earth has been left dark and inhospitable, but in an event that ties into the Captain Marvel The End one-shot, where Carol had actually restarted the sun, these, this is the last time that these people had seen her and, and their reconnection is something special. I'll leave my description of the plot there. Suffice it to say that this New World arc is, is off to a great start, and with Ms. Thompson stating that there will be heartbreaking choices ahead for Carol, it's going to be an emotional ride. P.S. Ms. Thompson also tweeted that you don't have to read Captain Marvel the end to understand her new arc, but it will definitely make for a richer experience. So oh. there's that. All righty. Now it's on to Dracula Mother beep, by Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson. This is an absolutely stunning work in both words and pictures, sharing DNA with such disparate things as Bram Stoker, Peter Max, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the 70s film Blackula, as well as smidges of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill and the Sasuke Sisters' Dead Hooker and a Trunk thrown in. And yet, it's still wholly original at the same time. Our cast includes a faded Hollywood star, a crime photographer looking for cash, the titular count, and his brides. This version of Dracula is not the usual man in a cape, but a terrible apparition taking the creative team's blend of classic and current to very, very new places. And those brides, as Mr. Campy states in her end piece, the brides have always fascinated me in a very different way than they could fascinate male writers, because I know them. They interest me in the way Melania Trump does, in the way Georgina Chapman Weinstein does, in the way that every woman at least once in her life wonders, could I just... Most of us could never go through with it, of course, but some do. Shade. People, people check out Dracula, blankety, 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 blank. You won't be sorry. An amazing piece of work. I'm done. With a whole minute to spare. There you go. Nice. Dracula motherfucker is awesome. <laughs> I... First of all, I saw the book and I was like, wait a minute, Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson? What? And that was wild. I love like the Nightcrawler stuff, like the Jake Gyllenhaal movie, like the photographer Mm -hmm. who takes pictures of dead people kind of thing. I love that hook to get us into the Dracula stuff. I love the portrayal of the Dracula body, the character design of it. So cool. Erica Henderson's work here is on another level. I've never seen her work look like this. It is spectacular. Um, And there's a great letter in the back where she talks about it and she talks about kind of how she approached the design and how she approached the artwork here. And it's, it's really refreshing. You know, you you mentioned Alex DeCampi's letter at the back as well. I I think this is a really awesome kind of little novella. It's only about 80 pages. So it read really quickly, really great for the Halloween season um, and a really awesome take on vampires. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. I positively loved it as well. Um, A very cool kind of turning of the tables, tale for uh, the Halloween season and like Joey was saying and like Bob was saying the art on this book from Henderson is just on another level for her this was like channeling some real Emily Carroll type stuff and I mean we've seen her kind of level up a little bit when she did assassination and now you have this and I just I love I love it when an artist releases something that is such an evolutionary leap in their style you know there's still a little bit of that like squirrel girlness to some of the facial expressions but the the environments and the the creature and and all of that stuff 
feels so fresh and new uh, coming from her that I was I was blown away by it. I, I picked it up from my LCS last week. I read it that night and was just flabbergasted by how gorgeous it, it is. Um, highly, highly, highly recommend picking that up. Yeah, the the panel layouts, the coloring, it is just somewhere new for her. And as you say, though, the the, the bits of it that we that you can still recognize as Erica Henderson are there, but brought to someplace different, and it takes on a whole different character. And that you have such interesting characters, and if the brides are very different, they're each individual. Quincy Harker, which is lovely to hear that name brought back, is Jonathan and Mina's baby from back in Stoker's original novel, but now mm. repurposed for something different. Great stuff. And let me throw a quick shout-out to Menachem up at Escape Pod, because I have the very special, what, do we, what is this called? The Bastard Title Edition, <laughs> which has which has... A, a slip co- uh, a dust jacket. Nice. And a lovely book plate signed by Ms. DeCampi and Ms. Henderson. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, there are only, I think, there are only like six stores in the world that have these copies. Oh. I saw those. I saw uh, Erica signing those online. She posted a, a Twitter photo of those. I was very. I wanted one. <laughs> That's awesome. I really. <laughs> I know where you can get them if you, if you just call Menachem over to Skate Pod Comics in Huntington. You've met him, so there you go. Yeah, Steve, just drive over to the Skate Pod. You'll oh get yeah, him. you know, it, it, I'll just slip right past the border. It'll be, it'll be no <laughs> uh, problem. There's one in Leeds. Okay, Comics in Leeds. How about Variant Edition in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada? Yeah. Oh, there we go. You can you can give them a holler. All right, um, I'll go. Um, I'll go tomorrow afternoon after work. Yeah, it's only I, across the whole continent. It'll be fine. <laughs> I also read Captain Marvel. Um, oh, what'd you think? Loved it. I had a lot of fun with it. I just, I'm, I'm noticing that I think every other, if not every arc of Thompson's run has been Carol in an alternate universe. Mm-hmm. Carol in a kind of a strange oh, we, right, we did have her on Roosevelt Island, right? That's where Absolutely. it started. And I just, uh, you know, I, it, it's getting a little, it's getting a little tried as it were. Um, it was nice. Cause I really also enjoyed that, that Captain Marvel, the end issue, um, the one shot from a, a few months ago. Um, Years and it was more like it. Yeah. And it wasn't like, <laughs> immediately apparent to me that that was the kind of uh, reality that we were in uh, in the in in this issue. It's fun. I love Thompson's Captain Marvel. I obviously love the character as well. I just wish that we could have some adventures in our own time and place, but yeah. it's okay. It's, it's fun. so funny you say that because when I opened the book, my first thought was, are we back on Roosevelt? Did they do this again? Are we doing this again? <laughs> Are we back on Roosevelt Island? And I was like, oh, okay, no, we're not back on Roosevelt Island. Yeah. But it is another fish out of water story. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I love the book. I really did enjoy it. I just, I love this. I, you know, I keep talking about the relationships between these characters, you know, and all the different events that we've been reading. But that whole Carol Jessica, Jessica yeah. relationship is like leaps and bounds beyond all the other ones. And so yeah, that just I love the focus on that. Even that bizarre relationship between her and Emma. Yeah, you know, the is, to that, no pun intended. Emma, yeah, really Emma, Emma Frost is my one of my favorite characters of all time. I love that Jess has her leather jacket hanging on the wall in her yeah. like room or whatever. I'm like, oh, she's gonna put that on. We're gonna have some <laughs> adventures. Yeah, it's just, I just I really like this book. Um, 
I like that that she keeps putting she keeps being surrounded by a family, you know, of some sort. And all her Avengers is always about either this family she's protecting or this family that she's relying on or this family. It's always a family she's chosen. And I guess in a couple of them, it's been the family that she didn't know she had, but it's a family she's chosen mostly. And um, yeah, I just think, you know, and I think that sort of thread, the sort of family you've chosen started with, you know, Kelly Sue, you know, you know, and carrying all the way through. Um, so I don't know. I really just liked it, but yeah, I agree with Joey in that whole, can we just have her being a superhero punch and stuff? in our timeline but no i love the book though i really did and aaron what say you about wonder woman <sighs> so if you, if you want to if you know no no i was i was going to I was, I was i was wondering if i should just try to have a positive vibe but no what's what fun is that so <laughs> i i just as i said in my message to everyone what was the purpose of this what, it's, it what got everyone to spend four dollars. That's what that's what it was. And so <laughs> now Diana is Aquaman. What is what is with the whistling and a big giant? Well, what? Well, that you know, it's the megalodons that used to surround Paradise Island. Oh, I like, guess is megalodon in the newest issue. Yeah, and I'm like, and it just happened to be right off the coast of Miami. What is, what are we yeah. talking about? What is happening right now? And I didn't even under. So, if there was a payoff to this whole little buddy cop thing that they were trying to do. That, you know, gave us a tip to something nefarious happening or something that tied this all together. I'd be like, OK, well, maybe there's a there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. But there was nothing. Yeah. I, I didn't. Under, there was n- there was no reason you can honestly when they publish the trade for this. You can literally take this issue out and lose no at no thread of the story. You will have gained nothing with this and you will have lost nothing with this. So I don't understand what the value of this was. This was upsetting to me um and honestly i was sort of just as i read this i'm like i am officially done with wonder woman for now i'm officially done i'm like i'm i'm tapping out i will just Ooh. read summaries um because <laughs> wait for I, my reviews you'll be fine <laughs> exactly because that just upset me because you had 20 some odd pages to do something great with an incredible character and you wasted it focusing on this narcissistic idiot who can control people and making them do stupid things you wasted it hmm. You had this character who is like a paragon for women whose movie was like the first successful DC, you know, you know, universe movie out there who everyone is staring at waiting with like bated breath for her new movie to come out. And you made it about the guy who can make people act like fools. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. Yeah, we're, We're back to James Robinson doing a whole run about her brother. Exactly. Like I care about her brother. Who cares? That just irritated me. I'm like, no aspect of this book is about. And in fact, in some aspects of the book, it's like he's making a fool of her. Yes. Um, You you clear the beach. I'm not. I can't be bothered. I'm. I'm just. What? What is this? I'm like. Why is she a side character and the the buffoon in her own book while this other idiot, who she's supposed to be watching over and sort of keeping in line, is the one that's sort of stealing the show. You, I don't. There's nothing you can write in a future book that, in a future issue, that's going to roll that back for me or make make that make any sense. It but just the art was nicer. So, but that, see, well, I will give you that. But see, yeah. then they tried to they tried to plant a thread in the previous issue that well, so much of this is because of what he saw when he looked into, you know, when the source wall fell. No, that's this book was about him being an idiot. Yeah, this book was about him being a jerk. That's all it was. There was no, I have no empathy for this character because of what he saw. I have no 
you know, understanding and you didn't give me anything in this issue to make me understand a little bit more about what was hinted at in these previous issues or even why his daughter matters. She doesn't. She's locked up. What was the purpose of that? Uh, yeah, there's a panel of him talking about her. I guess that's something. Apparently, I've been triggered, so I'm going to stop now. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid it at all costs, unless you like that kind of thing. What a shame. All right, let's move on. Yes, that's that's up for you then, Steve. I'm going to try to fit all of this in in five minutes. I got a lot going on this week. So five minutes on the clock. Go. All right, we're going to backtrack a little bit to some X of Swords business that we've had in weeks past, but now it's my turn. Wolverine, <laughs> Wolverine number six, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Victor Bogdanovic, uh, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and X-Force number 13, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Victor Bogdanovic, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VCs Joe Karamanga. Both issues focus on Logan's journey to procure the legendary Muromasa sword, which is currently being forged by Muromasa himself in the depths of hell. After being attacked and thrown into a river of lava, Logan wakes uh, to find himself imprisoned with Solemn, Arako's chosen champion of the X Games to come. The two form something of an unlikely alliance, and hilarity ensues. Quite literally, I thought this issue was a riot, thanks in part to the great character chemistry between the book's two main characters. I also want to echo Aaron's observation from last week that Bogdanovic's art bears a striking resemblance to Greg Capullo's, and that is not a complaint, but a compliment as, uh, as far as I am concerned. Marauders number 13, written by Vita Ayala. Art by Matteo Lali, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This issue finds Aurora visiting Wakanda in the hope of borrowing their sacred sword, Skybreaker, a weapon that holds much history and meaning for the Wakandan people. Spoilers, Aurora is denied the sword, and as a result is left with little choice but to defy her friends and family for the sake of Krakoa as well as the fate of the world. I took this issue a lot. I've uh, yet to read any material where Aurora and T'Challa were or are an item, but I could still feel the ties there, uh, thanks to Ayala's fantastic story, tension, and characterizations. I know that Storm was just doing what she felt she had to do, but it still stung a little to see her and Shuri in such a heated debate over loyalty and consequences to one's people. In her way... Storm was rather savage in this issue, and I enjoyed seeing that defiant side of her. We've gotten to see a good deal of her goddess side during this new X run, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of love when Aurora lets loose and brings the thunder. New item, uh, new items, new mutants, number 13. Written by Ed Brisson, art by Rod Reese, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. For this positively gorgeous chapter of the X of Swords saga, we find Cypher coming to grips with having to enter the upcoming tournament with Warlock as his technologically advanced weapon. This issue deals a lot with Cypher feeling like he's about to die the moment he travels to Otherworld, which is not great considering that it's recently been discovered that if you die in Otherworld, your resurrected self is reborn, changed, or corrupted, depending on how you look at it. This issue has some great character moments for Cypher and Magic, who's in charge of uh, getting her fellow X-Man's skills up to snuff before the big day. 
The art by Bob Rod Reese is positively tremendous, and I love the way it gives both the characters and Krakoa an emotional and, or and organic look overall. It's straight up some of my favorite art in the X-Books right now, and considering uh, how stellar the art has been for many titles, that's saying a lot. I still have a minute and 25 seconds, yay! Uh, Hellions, number five, written by Zeb Wells, art by Carmen Carnero, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VC's Ariana Mayer. As you know, I had jumped off of Hellions after its third issue, but I'm back, baby, and boy, does it feel good. <laughs> this is without a doubt my favorite issue of the series since the first, mostly because it brings back much of the humor that I'd loved so much in the debut issue. This is a sinister, heavy issue, my friends, which means that you can expect plenty of highfalutin laughs in addition to danger, deception, and perhaps a bad idea or two. I don't really want to spoil anything, but suffice it to say that Sinister has a plan that could end the X of Swords tournament before it starts, but I have a feeling that things aren't going to go according to plan. To be clear, I have no idea if they succeed. That said, I have my suspicions. This book has got more of a House Marvel aesthetic to it, but I think that suits the title just fine, especially when you consider where the group ventures off to in this chapter. It's regal, attitudinal, and playful as all get out. I like it. Uh, last one, Cable, number five. Ah, ten seconds left. Poppycock. Uh, written by Jerry Dugan. Art by Phil Noto. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Here comes the music. <laughs> Alright, we'll just dismiss that. I wasn't sure about Cable when it first started. I loved Noto's art, but I wasn't exactly on board with the Cable gets a sword and robots are after him angle of the story. Now, I can see why all of that setup was necessary, and I'm happy to report that the book is moving at a great pace. Now that things are heating up. Plot, 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 blah, blah, blah. What I like most about this book, aside from Noto's dreamy art, is watching young Cable interact with his parents, Scott and Jean. There's a great sense of mutual respect for one another happening here, and I think that's really refreshing as opposed to Cable acting like his parents are just a couple of old farts who know nothing about being cool in the age of Krakoa. There's also some satisfying space horror happening here, which gives me shades of like, I don't know, Event Horizon. And that's always a good thing, because that movie rules. Anyway, uh, each of these books ends with a champion of Krakoa gathering around a glyph-laden platform and striking their sword into stone. It's really badass, and I'm super pumped to get more chapters of this story this week. Uh, so, right before this event had started, I was afraid that... The event as a whole would knock me off of my X-Men high that I've been riding for the past little while, but it has somehow managed to reinvigorate my love for this age of X-Men. It's been a great time. I kind of miss some of the more socio-political aspects of the X-Books, but I'm sure that stories uh, with clever social commentary are just around the corner once X of Swords comes to a close. That's me. The best X of Swords book this week was New Mutants. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? Hell yes. The Ileana Doug stuff was incredible. And when uh, – spoilers. I'm going to spoil it because it's like the best line in the whole book. When Doug's like, I can do it. I have a sword. Like what do you think is going to happen when I go to battle? And Ileana's like, you want the truth? 
the second you step on that battlefield and raise a sword against someone, you're dead. I was like, oh, (laughs) tell it like it is. Oh, God, that was so I was like, it hit me at the heart. Like, this book is awesome. Like, I love it. I'm with you. Like each of these books. Last week, the two Wolverine-centric stories and the Storm story, like, things were ramping up. It was, like, really high energy, those books. This week was totally different. Felt like a totally different kind of vibe to the three chapters we got. The Hellions kind of, like, goofy, weird, like... Oh, my God, do the cape drama. Yeah, it's it's so funny. And uh, Zeb Wells has always been kind of a little weirdo working in the corners of the Marvel Universe. So it's, it's cool to see that book still doing that. New Mutants was awesome. And Cable... The Phil Noto stuff is just – it's so good. It's so good. This week we have uh, just two chapters, I think, uh, Excalibur and, and X-Men. So we'll see how that goes. But I I'm hyped. I'm hyped. I don't know why this these two panels in Hellions just cracked me up and make me want a, a sinister book. Actually, a sinister Bennett, Bennett – whatever, Bennett, whatever his name is, Bennett book. Um, it's like – a task of this magnitude isn't suitable for grunts, surely. They need their leader. They need Mr. Sinister. A show of hands. And then Sinister's like, wait, this is madness. This man doesn't know the difference between tassels. And- <laughs> 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 he was like, the floor was mine. Exodus. Exodus has like four names. <laughs> there, it's He's a great, he's like a great like 90s character. He just could not get off that cape this week, and it was just <laughs> hysterical to I me. love the cape stuff. I love it so much. I love the pageantry of that oh. character. Who do you – okay, without spoiling anything, this is a little bit out there, but who do you think won the rock, the rock paper, scissors? I think it was the original. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, That's it. Yeah, I, I mean, what, what, what can I tell you? I um, – I read Dracula, and then and then I just I did, I had a lot of catching up to do. Uh, I read more than this. I read those Excalibur issues that I was missing. I read the Hellions that I was missing, the X Factor stuff that I was missing. Uh, I basically went from before Chapter One of X of Swords into X of Swords in full this past week. So that was that was kind of my reading time. Um, but yeah, I, I mean it's. It's been so much fun. I was really afraid that I was going to burn out on it. I, I really hope that the the books continue to be as good as they've been. I don't know what's going to happen uh, this week. Excalibur is is. I'm glad that I'm glad to be reading it. I'm glad to be filled in on that stuff. I think it's still one of the weaker uh, books for me in the series. But I'm I'm definitely on board to just keep reading this until it's done. I'll read all 22 chapters of it. I yeah. I'm just I'm in it to win it. I'm I'm having so much fun with it. Is well, it wrong? Done. What's that? It, I was Go ahead, Aaron. Is it wrong that I sided with Krakoa in New Mutants? I was like, dude, you should not go. <laughs> yeah, like, no, absolutely. But Doug is being Doug, man, and it's like, <laughs> dude, like he's always had this. He's always had this complex because he's like, even when he was like original to the New Mutants and he was like, I don't have any powers. But then everyone was like speaking different languages around him. He's like, I don't have any powers, but I understand everyone. I don't know what's happening. Um, 
And he's always had this complex because his power is like, I can understand any language, right? And But it's not like a cool action-y power. So he's always had this freaking complex. So now he's put in a situation where he's like, I can be a champion that Krakoa needs. And he's letting it go to his head. And if Ileana's right, which, let's be real, she probably, she probably is. is. Yes. Uh, you know, it's not going to go well for him. And um, – I was thinking about this, like, as I was reading that chapter in particular, because, like, last week, Wolverine and Storm getting their badass swords and, like, Ileana with her, like, soul sword as well. I'm like, man, these guys, they're going to they're gonna kill it. But then Doug gets a sword, and I'm like, yo, people might die. <laughs> yeah. This, this might give them a pencil real. instead, but it'd be better. How uh, how satisfying are those moments when they, they strike the sword down into the ground on that platform? Well, so who do we got? We got Wolverine, Storm, Doug, Ileana, Cable. And that's it so far. Uh, so we got to wait for – Betsy's definitely going to have one. She's got her little brain sword. Uh, the Cerebro sword, I think, is I guess is Professor X gonna have. I can't. But they I can't stole remember. it. It was stolen, though, wasn't it? One of the books, yeah, X Force or something. It was stolen and given to what's his face. So, but like, I'm wondering who because it's supposed to be ten, right? X of mm-hmm. Swords. I'm wondering who the remaining ones are. I don't know that there were like the prophecies or whatever when Polaris lost her shit, but, uh, <laughs> but I think there were only I think there were only eight prophecies. So I I don't know who like the remaining four four or five people are. I'm excited again. I'm excited every week, for, and this is what's so great about the X crossovers. Every week you get the next chapter. Like imagine if Empire had been on its actual publishing schedule and we had to wait like a month between each of those chapters. Absolutely Oof. not. Right. But like X-Men, when you have these X book like crossovers, it's like every week you get at least a chapter, if not multiple. And it's like the momentum never stops. Yeah, this is this is the way to do it for sure. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about this in a little bit when we get to news. I'm a little because, I mean, at, at least with the X stuff, it's staying within the house of X and their their releases for that. But the idea of doing a line wide event um, has me already a little bit exhausted but we'll uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it in a little bit. Uh, does anybody else have any comments or questions for my books? Uh-uh. Are you going to keep going with all of it? Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm 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 gonna, dude. I'm buying. At this point, I have read every single X book since the the Hickman stuff launched, with the exception of those last two issues of Fallen Angels, because I just couldn't with that, yeah, no, that don't, series. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, it seems like it was, it, none of it mattered one. And two, I just, there was something about that book or, or a few things about that book that turned me off. And I just, I tapped yeah. out, uh, well, issues Quanon is much more interesting in, uh, in well, not much more interesting. I think what, what fallen angels tried to do was like give Quanon like backstory and really flesh out. And, and it's, it's an interesting kind of like psychological portrait of her, but as a character, as part of a team, I think you're, I think she's getting more distance out of that with Hellions. Yeah. Than, than, Dude, uh, I couldn't tell the characters apart in that book. It was, it was something, something in the art was, uh, was not doing it for me and, it and left me one. very confused. Yeah. It was a tough one. Yep. Uh, all right. So, I think that's going to be it for me. That's going to be it for our lightning rounds. Uh, We are going to take a short break, but when we come back, we have a pre-recorded 
interview uh, that Sarah had put together, and Bob joins her on this, with uh, the brilliantly British Paul Cornell talking about his new book from Vault Comics, I Walk With Monsters, as well as several other things. Uh, I've had the pleasure of listening to the interview before splicing it into the show. It is fantastic, and we really, really hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll see you in just a bit. excited to be joined today not only by my ever lovely co-host Mr Bob Ryer but also by Doctor Who sci-fi and comics writer and all-round good egg Mr Paul Cornell. Hello. Hi um thank you thank you very very much for taking some time out of your day to talk to us today Paul. Um now I had the realization when I was writing some notes for this that all of the conventions since March have been cancelled which means that the last convention of this year was also the first convention of this year where we saw each other which was true believers wow yeah and somehow that was only february i i have no idea how this is possible the passage of time is is bizarre um so first off how are you in in the weird new world that we currently inhabit healthy sarah healthy um, I think I think I've passed muster. I, 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 I'm um, no um, uh, fine. I mean, goodness, we're all under a lot of stress, eh? But um, yeah, uh, no, I, I think we are incredibly, incredibly lucky and um, privileged where I live. Um, we're in a little island where it seems to be going past us on all sides so far. So, yeah. Mm. Good. Long may it continue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, the reason that you're coming on today is that you have got a couple of new books coming out, but the one that I'm absolutely desperate to talk about is um, I Walk With Monsters. Mm. Now, we've been lucky enough to see a preview of this, and I'm sure that I speak for my co-hosts when I say that we very much enjoyed it. Um, anyone who listens oh, to the show regularly, you. honestly, I just, I loved it so much. I've been um, telling people all day at the shop about it and how they need to order it. <laughs> oh, that, I like that. That's direct. <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah, I'm not subtle. I'm just like, hey, order this book. It's really good. Um, <laughs> now, I am historically not very good with horror, as everybody knows. Um, and from my reading of it, I Walk With Monsters is very much a horror story. Can you kind of give us some insight into what compelled you to write this story? Well, I think compelled is kind of the right word. Um, I suppose in the last couple of years, I've sort of become more and more aware of the things that make me me. Um, having a small child to bring up kind of focuses you on my son is like that so why is he like that how did i contribute to that um good and bad uh, so you sort of learn more about yourself and i've reluctantly and slowly started to look at certain things in my past and um for one thing i've decided that my autistic genes have contributed to my son's autistic nature um, 
Uh, I, I mean, I autistically flap for one thing. I have all my life. And he doesn't. But, you know, you can see the genetic load there. And um, uh, flapping is uh, kind of a gesture where one one gets excited and one's arms go up and down randomly and wildly while one's thoughts go into uh, Wonderland. Um, So uh, anyway, to to move on to the (laughs) the essence of your question, um, I digress. Um, I... I'd already explored in a novel called Chalk some aspects of my own past, but I wanted to explore these particular aspects that feature in I Walk With Monsters um, because uh, raising a child, you become aware that you want to end a, a cycle of abuse, that you do not want to uh, pass one's own anger onto the next generation mm. and so far i think we've been quite fortunate and that's that's been the case um but some of my anger was down to some of the things in this book now jc um the heroine of i walk with monsters it's her family that's abusive which was not the case for me um, but I've thought long and hard about, this is my first interview about it. Um, I, I've thought long and hard about how I was going to talk about it. Mm. And, um, I think that's as far as I want to take that bit, but mm. suffice it to say, this is a story I can tell. This is my, not my story because JC and I are quite different in a lot of ways, but it's a story I'm, I feel qualified to tell. And um, it's notable, The Vault, who published this, mm. our early conversations between myself and Adrian Wassell, the wonderful editor on this, um, who's one of The Vault's publishers, um, we, our conversations centred around, um, you know, whether or not it was my story to tell. And, um, you know, uh, the fact that he started with with ethics, that that was his first thought. And we've had some extraordinary conversations about um, how to frame the story to make sure throughout that JC, um, who's a young woman who into she's in an awful situation at home and into her life comes a beast, a monster who turns out to be a man called David, who, while he is physically a monster, he is not psychologically or socially a monster anymore, or tries not to be. And he, in order to... We flash back between their past together Mm. and where they are now. And uh, in order to keep their partnership going, which is a kind of surrogate father-daughter thing... um, they find um, people who have done terrible things and do terrible things to them. Mm. Now, that's not something I'm supportive of. I don't. I don't feel that their situation is a healthy one. Um, but between the flashbacks and the current day, across the the issues, we'll see why they're there and what got them there. And um, 
anyway, um, uh, it's as I say, JC and I are quite different, and there are aspects of me in JC, and there's one big central thing that happens to her that doesn't happen that didn't that did happen to me, and there are several things in D- David's past that I did, mm. um, and um, but your question was was centered around um oh forgive me um what was what what was where did where did this start um it was was around what sort of compelled you to write oh yes sorry sorry no 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 forgive me i i I know what i was going to say it's about um it's about the shaping of the script the Mm. the descriptions um we ended up with descriptions of the initial scene like because there's a um a, uh, a, a killer with a scalpel mm. in the first scene um, who's going to meet the monster um, and doesn't know it yet and has JC tied to a chair um, except that she's in full control of the situation um, that's kind of a cliched scene that's, that's and uh, we just all kept thinking if that gets you know, um, if that's if that's drawn the wrong way, mm. and if those few pages are the ones that get printed, you know, as our advance preview, uh, this will totally missell the book. And also, that would be wrong. Yeah. So I I ended up writing panel descriptions like the scalpel, which is the least important thing in this in the picture, mm. and um, our incredible artist Sally Cantorino. Um, just leaves you in no doubt throughout that this is JC's story and um, that we are not, we are not a cliched horror comic. Um, And her ability to convey um, the nuances of expression and emotion in everybody's acting Mm. uh, and her, her vast ability to take us with JC through her every expe- every expression um you know I um, in all I mean literally um there's a, a, a full page um end of issue a few issues in where I actually said to her on the social channel we share to talk about the book uh, you know what I'm asking here. I'm not sure it's actually possible for an artist to do this. I could, uh, you know, <laughs> you've tried several different approaches, but the the what I asked for, maybe it's just not possible. She did it, <laughs> um, and um, I won't go into detail as to what that was. Mm. Uh, but it, it, I think this is my best work in comics. Maybe my best work uh, because it's so deeply heartfelt from all of us. And to do a horror book that is heartfelt, that's the full Stephen King, to write about something real in terms of fantastical horror, mm. um, it's been like an exorcism for me. I, it should have a content warning. I, I do think that even though we don't see anything mm. um, of JC's um, abuse uh, in the book, we... we, we, we distantly hear about it we are told about it albeit not in detail we can intuit everything um that's going to be a thing for people who've been through something like that Mm. but but 
the ride, I think, is one into light. The, you know, the whole thing is meant to be a exorcising experience, a, as if, as if this could be exorcised, a, um, that's the wrong word, a, oh, an experience which takes one from a, a, a place of, of darkness into a, a good place. Mm. Um, or at least that's... And I'm... You know, I don't want to blow the ending. Please don't. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really want to read to it, the rest but, of it. <laughs> but uh, meta-wise, just please trust us is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I want to pick up on something you said there about <laughs> writing the panel descriptions, about not focusing on the scalpel. Because when I first read the book, and in fact, I'm looking at it now, that was the thing that I paid the least attention to in those pa- in those panels and on those pages. Sally Cantorino, what can I say? The, the, the facial expressions on JC and on the man that she's talking to just completely pulled me in. And that's where my focus was. Yeah. Not, not on the scalpel, on the difference in how the two of them are approaching the situation. Um, and, yeah. and the nuances in what they're saying and the way that they're saying it plays out so, so well. Um, I, I put a tweet out earlier saying that when I read this the first time, it made the hairs on the backs of my arms stand up. What, do you, um, what did you make of the beast? It's quite something, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's probably going to haunt my nightmares. Not going to lie. Um, and then And then when you get the second shot of the beast the the kind of the change and and the way that it looks different is just it it is something i just I, now full disclosure i have met paul a few times and he is an incredibly lovely man and i always find this strange dichotomy between people who are very very nice and people who then write these comics that i read and i have to kind of go and check every room in my house to make sure that there's no <laughs> monsters in them well, it's um, my own. It's my own exorcism too. Mm. You know, I mean, that's the anger that's in there. And, there there's a lot of anger. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, can I just jump in to say they're also through the the descriptions that create that artwork and those expressions, the the setting of it. JC has so much agency in yes. two in just two panels. That she is, as you say, in control of this situation, and that is what changes it up instead of it being the cliche damsel in distress, is now something very, very different in a way that you can sort of have a sly smile about until the giant beast shows up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it's um, The thing is, though, also, her being in charge of the situation is also somewhat, uh, you know, that's not that's not ideal either. But um, it's where... where it's where she is. It's where we start the story. It's mm. where it's a good place to work from, um, because the whole story is about. It's more complicated than that, kind of over and over again, and um, the relationship between the two uh, is is Sally just draws so 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 well. The I, I ended up abandoning lots and lots of dialogue because she'd done it, you know. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's got a the whole book's got a sort of glowering power to it because of her, and um, amazing colours from uh, Dervla Kelly as well. Uh, just the reds and the um, browns and the sort of Americana rustiness of it. Um, 
it, it, well, um, so I'm, I'm incredibly lucky to be working with these people. Mm. And, um, you know, but to tell a heart, like, we call it heartfelt horror. Oh, that, I like that. That, that uh, it's horror from the, the heart. That, mm. um, you know, we're not doing this to scare you, in fact. Mm. You know, that's kind of a side effect. Uh, we're to, doing this to tell the truth. And that's that's definitely something that comes across because there's nothing gratuitous about the violence. There's no um, what I call gore porn. There's mm. there's no showing things for the sake of showing it. And um, from a personal perspective, there was a couple of moments in those first few pages where I was like, I really hope they don't do what a lot of comics do and show some things that I personally have a very deep-seated and personal hatred of um, in any form of media. And you totally didn't do that. And you don't do that anywhere in, in the book. And there's no... Um, it's not over the top. When you see the violence, it's for a reason. Um, and that's something that I very much appreciate because I, I have some issues with um, certain types of violence, especially violence against women that quite often we see in comics and in media and it just doesn't need to be there um but I there's... Don't, I'm, I'm just thinking but i think across the five issues i don't think we have any violence against women which is quite extraordinary mm. um, not that we see yeah and 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 that that makes me happy that, that we that we don't have to see that. I mean, this this is one of the things that that I very much found with this first issue is that we don't have to see things for them to be there and for them to be creepy and for them to be a little bit off putting. And and in particular, there is something that we don't see for a reason, and and we're we're shown ourselves not seeing it. And this will make sense when you read the book. Um, I'm trying very hard not to give anything away. Um, but I like the fact that you trust the reader with that mm. and you, and you trust your audience to, to understand what's happening. Um, something that you mentioned sort of back when you were first talking about the book was talking to um, Vault and the fact that they came in from an ethical perspective. How, how did the book first come about? I mean, did you, did you approach them with a pitch or did they come to you and say, we'd like you to write a scary book about, Americana and monsters, which would be a strangely specific thing to ask, I suppose. <laughs> well, I approached them um, in general because I'd seen the incredible stuff they were coming out with, and I wanted to work with them. Um, I I didn't make San Diego um, last year um, because my gallbladder exploded, Ooh. but um, and. As such, not literally, no. As, as, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was I mean, just the casual way you said it. Ah, the yes, gallbladder exploded, a, couldn't go. <laughs> it, it's, it's still in there, for one thing. So exploded is the wrong word. But um, um, So I did all the meetings I was, um, I'd was i arranged to have by phone. And uh, actually, that turned out to be quite useful. I got um, my current state of enormous work is down to that San Diego I missed. And... Um, <laughs> The uh, the vault. I I, I set up a um, a call with Adrian and I pitched several things. In fact, it was neck and neck between this and something really lighthearted and bouncy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh, I'm quite pleased we went with this. But I'd like to do the lighthearted and bouncy with them as well sometime. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I I pitched to them. Yeah. 
Awesome. I mean, they are they are putting out some amazing books at the moment. Um, That's an amazing run of quality. Mm. And and when people, so people sometimes go, oh, you know, comics. There's nothing new and exciting coming out. Oh, but there is. You just need to look in the right places for it. Um, it and... was these savage shores that made me think I want to do a horror book with these people. Um, that that's such a beautiful book, mm. and um, you know, there's so many. Um, I, I looked at that and I thought I can, I can sort of see the opportunity here to do the story I want to tell. Yeah. So did you? Obviously, not a comics writer over here. Don't really know how it works. Did you? find the artist that you wanted to work with is that someone that the vault sort of went we think this art style would suit how how does how does that sort of work because you like you and sally have absolutely nailed this book (laughs) so i i need to know how this works do you kind of trawl through pictures go oh i want this one (laughs) they 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 pitched me several different people Mm. and um i i looked at lots of websites and lots of images and there was something about Sally's handling of um, reality, of real-world detail, that especially Americana, that just made me think, oh, yes, she looks like, um, you know, she could do this. But mm. honestly, she's been knocking it out of the park. And uh, uh, it's, I mean, I don't think, I think this is the last time I'll be able to work with her because she'll be snapped up and be paid for <laughs> after it. <laughs> No, don't say that. Don't take her away. Um, so when you originally pitched this, is it is it kind of a, a wrapped up in a certain number of issues miniseries and it's a complete story? Is is that how this one is going to work? Yes, it's a complete story. Awesome. I like that because then I don't get to the end of it and go, oh, no, I need some more. Because uh, I'm incredibly impatient about things like that. Not going to lie. No, it's a... It, it's, uh you know it, it's it's got the shape of a novel to it basically we 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 have an ending awesome so speaking of novels obviously you also write um you write for tv you write comics and you write long and short form fiction how do you how do you approach each thing differently do you have like a different process that that you go to them or do you come up with an idea and then think this would be better as um, a shorter story this would be better as a novella this would be better as a comic how does that how does that work i want to get inside your brain now well it's sort of what each market will bear it's mm. it's kind of where that where that form is now um and what are you allowed to do in that form and how can we approach the boundaries of that and give them each something new so there's some crossover between all three but generally, I know what sort of thing to pitch in prose, comics, and television. And they, the requirements are quite different from each other. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a really interesting question. It cuts to the depth of, of, of you know, what we do. Hmm. But I always sort of know... Um, it, it's kind of one of the I wouldn't say even a skill because I've simply never thought about it before I've just always thought oh yes here's this comic I'm plotting mm. yeah um, I've got loads of, of 
lots of pitches, lots of ideas for each media kind medium kind of tucked away. Mm. So I have, you know, I, I I will sometimes try one in another, and I, you know, always interested in one becoming another. But you know, it, that's a, that's a fascinating question. How does one know? Wow. Now, now, I've, now I've thought about it. Next time I go to do that, I'll be like, oh. Oh, oh no. Oh, I hope I haven't broken you. <laughs> I'm very sorry if I have. How many, how many comicers have you bl- broken, Sarah Miles? <laughs> uh, can I plead now, the fifth on that? <laughs> now, Paul, in, in that process, do you ever start to think, gee, if I wrote this this way or added this, it could become that my comic could be a novel or a movie or a television show those now now i'm gonna now they do (laughs) i mean (laughs) but uh, yeah i do i do i do obviously i think everybody does have adaptation in mind these days Mm. you know i i think it's a much easier sell for a comics company if they can see how this would could be adapted um so yeah um often that thought's in the back of my head but it's a question of which medium suits going first. Mm. In that case, if there are any um, anyone listening who commissions TV shows, can we please have a London Falling TV show? Because I would love that. Um, <laughs> oh, so would I. I would love that. <laughs> Poss- possibly for That's different my... reasons. <laughs> but, yeah, well, no, no, for me, but also I, I, I creatively enjoy it, Sarah. Goodness. Yes. Um, but, um, <laughs> But um, no, I'm I, the Shadow Police. My urban fantasy about coppers who can see monsters. Uh, I, I've often thought, oh, that would be nice. We did once get optioned. We, we were optioned a while back, mm. and um, uh, good script was written, um, but it never got anywhere. But um, we, you know, uh, let's not write that off. We're uh, we're talking to people. Oh, please keep the talking happening. I love those books. Um, for anyone who Saucer Country too, by the way, would be very uh, interesting. I'm sorry, Bob, I didn't hear the first Saucer bit. Country would be oh. nice to see. Oh, it would, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, Saucer Country is you know, dear to my heart, and things are not entirely negative uh, on the Saucer Country front right now. <gasps> okay, um, that's lovely to hear. Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, I will always try and finish these stories. So for anyone who doesn't know, that is um, that that was a two miniseries that, that Paul wrote, which were basically about a governor who becomes a presidential candidate um, who may or may not get abducted by aliens. I try so hard not to spoil anything when I'm talking about it in case well, you that, haven't that... read it. That um, is the opening of the comic. So, yes. I mean, that's our pitch, yeah. basically. Um, <laughs> and one thing I absolutely love, actually, about that series is there's so much history in there. It's it's like you're reading a book but also being educated on the history of, mm-hmm. of UFOs and whether or not people believe. Um, well, it's a, it's a splendid mythology. It's many-faceted and so colourful. And um, it's kind of gone away now. It's... Uh, you know, I think because the whole business of conspiracy theories engulfed it, and it's now become part of the whole melange of horrible right-wing nonsense. Um, but back in the day, it was quite an innocent um, business of people who met impossible things. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, the history of ufology, it's a purely American mythology that you've exported to the rest of the world, like jazz. <laughs> uh, and, co- and comics, too. You know, <laughs> uh, um, British did those first. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You're right. actually, actually, possibly ancient Egyptians. But anyway. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. the, um, <laughs> but the British are always willing to take uh, take credit for ancient Egyptian things. And <laughs> often just great. take uh, ancient yes. Egyptian things. But yes. um, anyway, um, no, I mean, you, 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 ufology is a is. I, I'm not. I'm not quite a believer. I'm. I'm. You know, uh, maybe there was one thing once. And we've had an enormous cargo quilt about it ever since. But uh, no, I'm, I just have always been fascinated by it. And I've always wanted to write a comic about it. And Saucer Country is, you know, uh, a, a story which I think d- we should get to an ending one day. Yes. <coughs> Back, I, I'm, I'm an old timer. I have to say it that way. Back when I was nine in 1965... I joined the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization. I still oh. have my little I still have my little membership card from Jim and Coral Lorenzen from back wow. then. And so I followed all this stuff as it was happening. So see it in, in your book, uh, those little things. And I believed everything then. But as you say, it was more innocent. Again, I was nine and my parents were fine with me doing that. And I I completely agree with you. I think there might be I think there's life elsewhere. I think maybe once or twice somebody came here. I would point to McMinnville, Oregon in 51, that famous, yeah. those famous photos that even Project Blue Book went, look, it's either the greatest fake of all time, we don't know how he did it, or it's a 30-foot across flying saucer under its own power. Barney, Barney, yeah. Barney, Barney and Betty Hill. Yeah. Um, the way that they make up huge chunks of American mythology off their own bat and create a story shape that hasn't existed in the world before. Um, either they are great American <laughs> narrative writers, or, <laughs> or that I think maybe that actually happened to them. Yes, yeah, so one or the other. It, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, the, they're the next Baron Munchausen, or they're the next, uh, I don't know, Isaac Asimov, one of the two. <laughs> and I love the I, one of the things the comic talks about is the way that their actual narrative has been changed uh, to uh, suit everybody else who told it. Yes. And because uh, they, the guys they originally meet um, are wearing little black uh, biker caps for one thing <laughs> and are, un- are in uniform. They're grays in uniform with biker caps. Teenagers from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't, they don't know, they don't know where they are. Um, they are kind of, you know, they they sort of behave like real aliens might, um, as it were. <laughs> and and but as soon as soon as they uh, as soon as the hills start talking to people and start remembering, they become the fairies. Mm. Yeah. You know, we we kind of took, if that if that was real, we took those real aliens and made them ours very very quickly as a species. It I is think, interesting. The, oh, go ahead, Sarah. Please. No, I was just going to say. I think that is something that, that that humans are incredibly good at doing, is is taking things and adapting them to our own needs. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember growing up, it was all about crop circles. And yes, right. <laughs> because I, I grew up on the south coast of England, and we we had you know all of these 
all of these circles magically appearing overnight and it couldn't possibly be done by people and it must be flying saucers. And it was <laughs> fascinating. Where are the crop circles now? Can we have them back? Well, I, I think for those... As soon as people started saying, "Oh no, we we we," I tell you what, we can do them. <laughs> <laughs> a cottage industry sprang up overnight. Yeah, because um, I I'm I'm from Wiltshire in the West Country, mm. and um, we we very much had our our own crop circles, and um, we very much had young farmers who who were laughing their heads off during that. <laughs> oh, nobody could nobody could have flattened corn this precisely um, <laughs> how how would they have walked through the corn without leaving any trace on the way that you know it, it, it's possible it's possible that human beings came up with an answer to those questions you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at the time it was impossible and it was exciting mm-hmm I yeah. just yeah I mean I'm I'm very much of of the stance that I think it would be incredibly selfish and self-centered not to believe that there is life out there other than us mm. because that just seems to be a little self-involved for me yes. um, but also I think that that a lot of people who have claimed things have maybe not done it for the best of reasons and um things like the National Enquirer might have had <laughs> some of the motivation behind I, I, th- I think there are a ton of people who genuinely believe that that's mm. what happened to them um you know there's 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 something about um i think there's something about electromagnetic disturbance which yes. can can fritz the human brain and the fact that certain drugs uh can produce an experience with the greys sort of makes me think that maybe they're kind of physiologically part of us that um if our brain gets fritzed in a particular way it, Hello, aliens. Mm. Yeah, there was a a PBS special here in the States. It was called Where Are All the UFOs? And they interviewed a Canadian psychologist who was basically using a reverse EEG, Mm -hmm. sort of a football helmet with wires, and trying to get certain things to happen. And yes, you would end up with the sense of presence that there was someone in the room and it would distort everyone's perception to they were seeing these colorless, weirdly shaped people. Mm-hmm. And then he, he took the, the next step to say, well, there are a number of lights in the sky sightings that precede seismic events that might actually have electrical discharges. Yep. And so maybe someone's out in the woods and they get they get zapped and mm-hmm. their memory is now these night terror creatures they're seeing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a thing. Um, my goodness, Bob, you've got you've got the same level of detail that I've got about this also country. Kindred spirits. Let's leave it that way. <laughs> I think the um, uh, it's um, anyway. We could we could we could we talk this. about this. Let's go yeah, back to monsters. Could. Let's go back to monsters. <laughs> <laughs> but that was lovely. That was a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I'm I'm um, uh, the no. Number of um, interests of mine that kind of pop up in my creator own comics. I mean, 1970s rock bands and the way that um, Satanism became so popular in, in the 1970s. That's um, that's why 
other earlier create her own comic, This Damned Band, which is a comedy about um, a, a rock band that claimed to worship the devil only to discover to their horror that they're actually worshipping the devil. Oh. Um, I think <laughs> it's, um, uh, you know, I, I've... I've got a great attachment and fondness to that sort of 70s rock excess. And um, I, I also uh, I'm fascinated by how mainstream um, the occult went in the 70s. Yes. Um, it's, uh, so, yeah, um, what, what I talk about in my comics is often, you know, stuff that's um, part of the, the strange melange that uh, I grew up in. And, um <clears throat> Sounds very, very familiar as someone who has an entire shelf of Lovecraft books, including a handwritten Necronomicon I did myself. So, yeah, I get it. Wow. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say now, at some point in the future, when people can go to other countries again, I need to get the two of you in a bar together. Oh, it'd be awesome. Oh, and then I'm just going to sit back and in Betty Hill, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, sorry, please, please continue. I've, I've diverted us. Yeah, we very much digressed you out of somewhere, Sarah. No, no, that's absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> have I ever managed to keep an interview on track? Ever in my existence? No, I haven't. It, it always um, gets back to where it needs to go. That's your, your great talent. Uh, in that case, I will take us back to horror, but I would like to talk about another title that you've released, Paul. Like... You, you're just super, super busy at the moment um, because a couple of weeks back it was announced that you are going to be working on another horror title, this time with Emma Vicelli. Yeah. I believe you can talk about now. Can you tell us yeah. a bit about it? This is out next spring. It's from um, Magma, who are a new publisher coming out of um, Heavy Metal um, with uh, Denton Tipton, who used to be at IDW in charge. Mm. Um it's the modern Frankenstein, which is a twisted romance um, between um, in, a, in a world which has never heard of Frankenstein, between um, James Frankenstein, who's a, um, a modern day um, brilliant surgeon, and uh, his one of his medical students, who um, basically it's about. We're, we're cutting edge medical research and there's a famous list of experiments that uh, medicine could do with the answers to that would progress medicine if we knew the answers that those experiments would give but the experiments themselves are entirely unethical and so he has started to think well we could give that a go <laughs> And because in the best Peter Cushing Frankenstein way, he's quite charismatic and gorgeous with it. Mm. And um, and it absolutely means it. You know, he's doing this for the best possible reasons. And he's largely doing it to um, people he feels um, won't be missed too much. And mm. his student... So many ethical ha- issues. Yes. Really? Horrible. <laughs> and... His student has a rather different view of it, but they are going to walk a fine line. Can she hold him back? Um, it's uh, it's delicious. And Emma Vicelli draws um, beautiful people being delicious and awful to each other so well. Um, <laughs> and me and her w- wanted to work together forever. 
Hmm. I mean, we've been friends for and we've always just been awaiting the project that would, would fit, and this one has. And um, she's becoming become increasingly famous as the time time's worn on. And, um, you know, it's a delight to finally be working with her. Um, so the modern Frankenstein, which um, uh, is, I have, um, let me see, two more creator-owned titles um, still to announce, which have been commissioned from two more different publishers. Nice. And... And there are two other things as well that haven't been announced yet in the field of comics. And there's also, of course, the uh, Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror comics from Ahoy. <gasps> so, so um, you know, all in all, it, it's quite good at the moment. Yes, you've been very busy. <laughs> um, I believe that the Edgar Allan Poe book comes out today because time um, travel, it is currently Wednesday. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, 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 today, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was about to correct you there, well done, no, thank you, you got No, that. we oh. operate on time travel, today yeah. is the 21st of October. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Blood, issue one, is out today. Um, and uh, you've, you've rewritten The Black Cat, have you not? Uh, as a dog. Yes. <laughs> and he's a very good dog. And um, he's incredibly obedient and loyal. And um, the black cat um, imposes uh, a lot of abuse. It's uh, it's a story about animal abuse, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, the dog does his best to cooperate with with this awfulness. And, and as such. Um, Kind of undermines the whole story in a funny way because these are these are funny Poe stories. We get to retell Edgar Allan Poe originals in in comedy ways. <laughs> and uh, my my uh, one for um, the previous version of the title, um, they do them in seasons. So this was um, last year. Um, was about what if um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde had been written by uh, an English person rather than a Scot. And uh, is 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 about um, uh, <laughs> Doctor Jekyll turning into Mister um, Slightly Less Jekyll, um, who does <laughs> ter- terrible things like passing the port in the wrong direction and um, <laughs> eating <laughs> e- eating uh, eating tea at the wrong time. <laughs> that that actually leads me nicely onto another book I want to talk about, which is terribly British and is also one of my all-time favourite comic books. Ever, which is Batman Night and Squire. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, for our American friends who may not be aware, Night and Squire is the story of a very, very British Batman and the hijinks that he gets up to with his trusty squire, Beryl. Yes. Um, and when I say very British, I mean, I bought a copy of this for Bob once and luckily he was brought up properly with sort of Monty Python and whatnot and he got a lot of the references. Yes, I did. Um, Paul, the glossary you... still helped, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Paul, would you be so kind as to just indulge me for a moment and tell me how you got this book through the editing process without <laughs> spending like your entire life explaining cricket or Morris dancing or Toot on Ted from Teddington? <laughs> well, I, I did have to do um, a, a share of explaining um, of it, actually, in that our... Um, our wonderful um, editor, 
Um, basically, um, uh, she very much wanted to make sure that in the huge amount of um, slang and cultural references involved here, we hadn't slipped anything truly naughty past her. <laughs> and, and actually, we hadn't. You know, so I, I actually had to send her a document explaining every single reference. <laughs> and um, also, we created over a hundred new British um, DC Universe superheroes and villains. We, and they're all in canon, the right? They all count. They all count. Well, two things happened. Um, one, I believe Wonder Woman became possessed and attacked Britain, killing thousands of them. And... <laughs> And and two, then the universe ended. So, Aww. so I hope they're all back in the new version of the DC universe. You know, the, um, and um, oh, uh, the the uh, pirate astronomers, the uh, the Morris man, double on double entendre, yes, <laughs> yeah, Come on. double entendre, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, 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 I'm. Um, I, I, I miss all of those people, and, um, and what, rather wonderfully, we thought we, we'll, we'll, we'll break the D, DC Universe's uh, next effort to do some kind of encyclopedia. It'll have to be all about us. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy Broxton is the wonderful artist on that, and um, we um, basically, uh, just as I was, because I was also sending um, uh, our editor a list of every character we created, um, I had to ask him as he was drawing the last two pages, um, have you created any characters in the background in the last two pages? And he replied saying, oh, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does have the best use of strategically placed balloons in a comic. Um, <laughs> if there is an award for that, it needs to go to Knight and Squire. Uh, um, Superpower is basically just being naked, isn't it? It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> How many comics as well um, have former monarchs of the British Isles returning to life in an awful David Cronenberg <laughs> fly-style accident and <laughs> discover, dis, we discover that actually, no, Richard III really is a villain who wants to conquer yes. them. Yes. <laughs> I was very thrilled about that. I, you had ruined me for Richard III, and there he was back again, which is lovely. <laughs> but so many, so many references that you make you smile as you say with, with two-ton ted i watch i'm a python guy my dad liked benny hill mm -hmm. so i i was familiar but you had me with barrel we're needed <laughs> i have i have my avenger shirt on right now as as we as we talk uh, <laughs> it, it it's kind of your full-on real britishness it's like sticking your head into the hose pipe i think yeah and <laughs> um, i especially love the two pages with um we had the idea that because the British can't really do superhero and villainy very well, you know, we, it's an American phenomenon. So um, we, we have cover versions of American super supervillains. Yes. So there's there's Jarvis Poker, the British Joker, yeah. um, who's <laughs> basically like um, a, a 1970s or Viz comics character. Yes. Who's, um, and Jimmy did a fabulous two page um, strip of him as if he were in Valiant in the 1970s. And um, he, he's actually turned into um, quite a uh, quite a character of pathos, because I, di I did... But my wife refers to this, it's something I often do. My wife refers to it as ha-ha-bang, 
that uh, a lot of my work features comedy up front and then sort of turns on you in an awful way. And um, the, the Night and Squire kind of is one of those. Um, but I, I think perhaps the, my favourite piece of dialogue I've ever written for a comic is, oh, oh pants, it's the Morris Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no, is it, oh, bum, it's the Morris Man. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's, it's just so perfectly British. And like you say... It, you do read it and it's funny and it's funny and it's funny and then you go oh i'm crying <laughs> because there is something that happens that that is incredibly emotional and that's something that i find actually quite often with your work is that it sort of sneaks up on you um and you don't realize what's happening until it's happened and then you go oh i'm having feelings now i'm, I'm not sure about this uh, because well, of course being british we don't have feelings it's all very well, up our lip. well the business of looking feeling is very complicated for me um, because um, I'm still somebody who has to be quite careful with serious drama. That is to say, I will sample it bit by bit, um, because rather like my son, who is a little Vulcan, um, <laughs> you know, if I'm if I'm going if I'm going away for a long time in, in the days when we used to do that sort of thing. Um, you know, I would say goodbye to him and he would be very definite that he did not want a hug. And he would sort of look stoic, stoically at me and go, okay, okay. Basically, as when, he, when he's of an age, it'll be, I hope your journey is a prosperous one, father. And <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to introduce him to Mr. Spock. I, I think, <laughs> how on earth did Gene Rodenbury know about, well, via, via midshipman hornblower and having a very English person standing with his hands behind his back beside the captain, we get to autism. Of course we do. Yes, but we do. Um, but um, uh, so um, basically, um, my feelings about drama are complicated that I'm, I need to slowly and carefully engage with it. But at the same time, I think, you know, it's that thing again, as we spoke of at the top, that, that working through this stuff is important. Um, people with my genetic load need drama too. So what I tend to do is um, put the drama in a reassuring shape, often a fantasy shape. Hmm. And and famously, I can deal it, but I can't take it. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, one of my favorite shows at the moment is Evil. Um uh, the uh, which is a show about all sorts of um, basically it's the X Files but Scully turns out to be right every week and um, <laughs> they as soon as I see in the um, te- pre credits teaser this one's about the uh, possessed child nope um, hop to next week um, <laughs> you know it's uh, I don't I don't tend to push myself much anymore I know what my limits are and. Um, and that's that's awful in some ways because I don't get to experience a lot of serious culture. But at the same time, um, you know, I'm I'm taking care of myself a little. So, you know, I think we're all allowed to be wusses about. I, I think me. that's a very important thing as well, um, especially in you know the the current climate and the world that we're living in. I think it's very important to to, to take care of our own mental selves. Um, because I won't watch horror. I won't watch things that I know will upset me because why would I want to do that? If, if mm. I'm aware that something is going to have content in it that I will find uncomfortable, I will watch or read or listen to something different. Um, yeah. 
and I know it's so, important to, to broaden our, our horizons and, and experience new things, but at the same time, I also know that I don't ever need to watch The Babadook, thanks, because it will well, terrify me. And I, and I should point out, I'm not after surprising you with that kind of content mm. in a nice envelope. What I'm doing is getting you on side and saying, you know, I will take you through something, but it's going to be okay, and I hope you trust me by, me by now. Mm. And and that envelope kind of has, has comforted you a bit on the way in. I would it's definitely, like, yeah, I mean, with, with, as far as your writing goes, I know that you're not going to finish a book and leave me stranded in a terrible place where I'm an emotional wreck, but also I will come out of it having felt things, especially with I Walk With Monsters. Yes, I found it creepy. Yes, I found it a little bit sort of, oh, you know, my hackles are raised. But at the same time, I know that there is there are going to be little tendrils of the story that we're already seeing that are going to pull together to make something that's not going to leave me having nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. Although it, it must be said, um, a, a wonderful person got in touch by my public email address the other day to say that my novel Chalk had left him stranded like that. Oh. It, it's a... I, I haven't heard that from anybody before, but that's valid too. And, you know, it was... It was the one of the one of very few times where I've got an email saying I just wanted to write to you about how awful your book was. Where um, I I replied very positively to him because he was being utterly sincere, hmm. and um, and it was also quite flattering along the way, you know. But um, it, it, it's you know everybody's different about this stuff. But in general, I got you, you know. Mm-hmm. I try I I try and land you. Mm. I, I must admit, because I know what chalk is about, I still haven't actually managed to read it. It's sitting there on my shelf on well, the and, and, and on the I, say, I need to read, but they're a little bit worrying shelf. I, I got to say, there's no reason you should read it. You know, <laughs> it's um, I, I I very much believe that. Mm. But but I want to because your writing's really good. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so. I'm, I'm aware of the fact that we are taking up quite a lot of your evening now. So we've talked about I Walk With Monsters. We've talked about the modern Frankenstein. Is there anything else that you've got coming up that you're allowed to talk about? Or should I just recommend everybody subscribes to your newsletter that drops in my inbox every Friday and is very lovely? <laughs> well, on paulcornell.com, you'll find the newsletter, and my, my tweets and all sorts of things. Um, I would like to say um, there's, there's nothing else comic-wise that I can talk about yet. Um, we will have content in um, the Thought Bubble Online Digital Convention. Um, uh, there's um, stuff I'm going to be able to announce really quite shortly, I think. Mm. Um, and um, oh, my, my fifth Lich leveler is out in November, um, yeah. so that's that's a nice end of series thing. Um, but anyway, um, I Walk with Monsters issue one is out on November the 25th, means that the fun order cutoff is November the 2nd. So if you like the sound of any of this, do talk to your comic shop and make an order because we live, you all know, all of you listen to this podcast and know that we live on pre-orders. Mm. That are you always, as a comic creator, you always get people tweeting to you saying, hey, I went to my comic shop and they didn't have any copies. It had sold out. Well done. And we're kind of like, 
(laughs) (laughs) It's hard to reply because, of course, their their intention is nice, you know. Yeah, and and the other thing as well that I don't think people are always aware of is that the final order cutoff for issue two is generally the Monday after issue one has come out. So quite often shops, shops will base how many number twos they order based on how many number ones they've sold. So you need to pre-order the first one so they go oh we know people are going to want to read this so let's order the second issue as well otherwise you'll be disappointed because you won't get hold of the rest of the story does that make sense yeah having said that the vaults publicity machine is tremendous i mean uh, i've been involved and cosseted on every single side of this process by those guys The, the the vault is a tremendous tremendous company to work for and they've made a t-shirt they made a t-shirt. I've never had a t-shirt before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um, I'm, I'm I am a stranger to merch. It's great. <laughs> I'm very excited about the t-shirt. Um, and just as a caveat, I will say at the moment the t-shirt is only available for delivery in the US. But I might have to get one delivered to someone in the US, then get them to post it to me because I really want one because it's a really cool t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Bob, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to bring up that I haven't mentioned. Um, well, you've hit just about everything, as I, as I knew you would. I certainly do want to thank Paul just for just for being here and just for writing so many different things with such a wonderful worldview. As oh, you well, talked about, you. no, as you talked before about you, you'll make through. You make sure we get through this. There, you know, there are creators who. Yeah, their their themes are important, and yet if I find I as with Sarah with horror, I can watch the bloodiest, most awful horror movie from the eighties when they did all that crazy stuff the first time around, and yet there are comics that I can't look at because I know where we're going, and I don't want to go to those places because I'm not sure where we'll end. Your characters, the way the stories play themselves out, there is yes, there's peril, there's danger emotionally. Physically, sometimes, but what it really is about is a sense of humanity, and I just want to applaud that. Oh, thank you. That's 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 what I'm about, honestly. There you go. It's um, you know, and also it's it's, huh, it, it, it's flying a flag for um the calls of progressivism in <laughs> these current current times, which is um difficult. And um, sort of reflected in everything I do, honestly. Um, so yeah, that. Thank you. That was that was lovely, Bob. Um, I tell you what, I would I want to be on the full I, I want to be on the full show because I want to do a lightning round. I would. I, I've, I've got I've got my sound effect. And um, oh. no, 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 I'm not going to blow. I'm not going to blow it now. So, okay, I, okay. Yeah. Surprise us when it happens. We will definitely have you on the full show. There's no question about that. Oh, ta. <laughs> yeah. I'll just talk about UFOs. Actually, on that front, I don't know if it's available for streaming anymore. There was a show from about 20 years ago called Dark Skies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it well. Yeah, I love that show. As we play through the history of, oh, gee, the Kennedy assassination involved, and so are the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and <laughs> the Manson family. And it's like, really? We're going to go there? Sure, why not? I'm in. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to need to get the two of you on just to do a special, just to talk about UFOs and 
satanic panic and all of, all of yeah, this but... it'd be amazing <laughs> i'm in i'm in <laughs> um so paul thank you very very much for for giving us some of your time and coming on to talk about your books and i promise we are getting you back for the full experience even though that does mean that when we get to the wrap-up at the end of the show bob will say something big and emotional and no one else will be able to follow it because that's what bob does um, it's 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 a thing now you refer to like you know you get bobbed I come pre-bobbed. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for, for talking about your books. I will make sure that we put some links into the show notes as to where people can go to find out more about them. Um, you mentioned your website earlier. So if people want to um, find out more about you or your work, is that the best place to look? Do you kind of, are you more on social media? What's the best way for people to find out more? paulcornell.com is a good one-stop shop and if you want to go find me on twitter i'm paul underscore cornell marvelous well thank you so so much for talking to us um and i hope that everyone has enjoyed listening and now i will hand back to steve and the regular crew for the rest of the show thank you so much for having me hey everybody we are back thank you once again to paul cornell for joining us on the podcast we absolutely, and he'll probably listen to this, we absolutely want to have Paul back on the show uh, next time for a full episode, lightning rounds, the whole shebang. Uh, Paul, if you're listening, you are welcome anytime on the Talking Comics podcast. Thank you to Sarah for putting together a lovely interview, and Bob for uh, keeping company and contributing as well. Oh, thank you much. It was a load of fun talking to Paul, and Sarah did a great job setting everything up. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just want to say that uh, in addition to picking up I Walk With Monsters, which I will absolutely do, I purchased Batman and uh, Squire. Night and Squire? Night and Lovely. Squire. Sorry, sorry. Night Batman, Squire. Night and Squire. The other night, uh, last night actually. And uh, I'm only a couple of pages in, but I am already having a ton of fun with it and, and look look forward to continuing on with it and getting some good laughs out of it. It is... Uh, it's very cheeky so far, and I, I dig yeah. it. I dig it. I like the setup. So, yeah, okay. Um, we're back. News. There's lots of news going on. Um, I figure that maybe I'll start with the most devastating piece of all. <laughs> but uh, we found out. They announced it today. Celebrate Saladin Ahmed and Minkyu Young's uh, acclaimed run on Ms. Marvel is ending in January with an oversized final issue. Great. I just started again, and now it's ending. The curse lives! If I weren't in my office when I saw this, and the only table in the room was the one that I have all of my work stuff on, I would have flipped it, because I am upset about this. I was, I was real comfortable with Ahmed. It had been a while that this book was gone and then came back because of COVID. And then as soon as it comes back and it comes back real strong, it's going to be over in a few months. It's going to come back again. I know. And I know that it's the way of things, but like, it also means that I have to rack my nerves and I have to get nervous about who's going to take it over. What's yeah. their thing going to be? Are they going to introduce some weird space thing to throw me <laughs> off of my groove? It already hour? happened. You got through that one. I know. But like, I don't know. They, they make this article and this is from, uh, this is actually directly from Marvel. 
they make mention of how much uh, Eve L. Ewing is is doing with the champions and uh, how much they're they're writing for Marvel and stuff like that. That I'm wondering if they're setting this up for them to take over the book. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Eve Ewing. I think she's awesome. I, I listen, she, she does. She's not just a comics writer. She's a poet. She's a scholar. She does a lot of like podcasting stuff as well. I'm liking champions and the outlawed stuff is really cool. So I good. Think, I think the Ahmed run and the, the Ahmed young run is great. It's really settled in. We got a few more issues with it. Big 75. It's a nice place to jump off. Um, I think, I think coming out of outlawed, and going into theoretically the Marvel uh, Disney Plus stuff that's that's coming up, I think I think they're gonna kind of do something with her coming out of Outlawed, and I think we need to see what E Viewing does with that book, that crossover, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But I'm not again. Miss Marvel, I think, is Marvel's alongside Miles. And reread to a degree as well. I think some of their biggest successes over the last few years. So, I don't think I don't think we're going to be long without uh, Kamala Khan. Yeah, it'll just be a new number one, and hopefully they make the right choice on creative team. Exactly. Let's yeah. let's keep it interesting. Let's uh, let's not pull anything weird. Yeah. Right. Chips <laughs> Would you say Chip Zdarsky? Chip Zdarsky <laughs> seems to be able to write everything. So Zdarsky yeah. is writing everything at Marvel. <laughs> I'd like to see Eve on the book. I, maybe like somebody like uh, Rainbow Raoul could be uh, awesome. could be a nice fit. Yeah. But um, yeah, just you know, so help me if you uh, if you assign a white guy to this book, I will. Uh, let's move on. Let's see, uh, Joey. Why don't you tell us about this uh, this Iron Fist? Oh, yeah. Uh, you posted that in the notes. It's just an announcement that Iron Fist is going to get a little mi- limited series this winter from Larry Hama. Mentioned it old before. school. Old, nice. Old school. And that's really my one thing. Like, I'm like, cool, Larry Hama. But then I'm like, eh, but like, there was nobody new. Like, you know, you can't get anybody. <laughs> but anyway, Larry Hama's long career in, in the, in the, in, at Marvel and, and with G.I. Joe comics and tons of stuff. The description sounds cool. Somebody's taking out the immortal dragons and Iron Fist is like, yo, I'm on it. So uh, it's a cool little premise. Um, I love Iron Fist as a character, as y'all know. Um, so somehow at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I'm getting a Shang-Chi miniseries and an Iron Fist miniseries. I'm cool with that. Let's, let's have some fun. Um, like I said, the one thing is I'm like, Larry Hama is great, great grab for the book, but also at the same time, I'm like, that's a throwback to like the late 80s, early 90s comic book storytelling. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm wondering if there's maybe a new voice that could have benefited from this kind of um, kind of announcement and book. Um, but again, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for Larry Hama on it, and uh, we'll see how it goes. All right. Sounds GamesRadar.com reports Marvel Unlimited will stream new comic books three months earlier. What? So, dude, what? Well, I'm just going to finish the finish the story and I'll, I'll talk about it. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to find the. Uh, I guess this is from uh, since the beginning of the year. We've seen our stories read tens of millions of times on Marvel Unlimited. And we've seen a rising number of fans now looking to dive into more of their favorite stories featuring blah, 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 blah. Uh, This expansion for 
Marvel Unlimited delivers exactly that. Fans can, oh, I guess I should have read that last part. Um, fans can now read more of their favorite comics sooner. No other service, yada, yada, yada. Let's see. What is the window here? Marvel Comics has reduced the turnaround time from when its new weekly comics are published to when they reach the publisher's digital comic book reading service, Marvel Unlimited, shrinking the window from six months down to three. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, and it's because of COVID. Well, I wonder if it's because of part because of COVID, COVID and part because DC Universe dropped theirs from a year to six months. <laughs> They're like, yeah, uh, yeah no, we're gonna we're gonna do you one better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and yeah, <laughs> watch that. How about them apples? Well, it's always exactly. been six months. So like now that it's three months, but but I noticed like because of COVID and that window of time when books were mm-hmm. being published and Marvel was kind of still using Marvel Unlimited as kind of their platform for a while. Now all of a sudden that books are kind of like stacked up on top of each other. The releases have been so rapid and I'm reading things that I'm like, was not expecting to be able to read for more months after. And I think that they're just, they're just getting traffic because of it. And that's awesome. Um, I'm still excited for the DC universe kind of like, I guess relaunch reboot or whatever, because I want to have that same kind of streaming service for the DC books. I want like, I've read so many full runs going back decades, like because I've had Marvel and universe for so many years and I'm excited to have that same opportunity with DC universe six months, three months. Doesn't matter. I, I, it's just, it's, I think it's so great. I think it's great to have that archive um, and that accessibility to so many stories. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for it. Hey, bring it more books. Give me more books. I want to read them. They're calling it DC Universe Infinite, and you have access to 25,000 plus comics and new books six months added after release, et cetera, et cetera. Love it. That's Give it to have. me. Put it in my eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bottom of this article. It says, Your serve, DC. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So that's that. You'll get your Marvel books on Marvel Unlimited three months earlier than normal, which is uh, is very cool for people that use that service. What else do we got here? Uh, we'll save that one for last. Let's quickly talk about... So DC came out uh, this past week, and they basically gave the big pitch for their, their new line-wide event uh, called Future State. And uh, they released a an official press release that I will read from now. DC is starting 2021 off with a bang, giving fans a glimpse into futures near and far. Full of current and new characters as the publisher announced plans today for DC Future State, a two-month line-wide event beginning in January through February 2021. The full title lineup will feature a combination of monthly and twice-monthly oversized anthologies, as well as monthly schedule of miniseries and one-shots. Cha-ching! Get your wallets ready! Uh, DC uh, Future State spotlights the world's greatest superheroes in fresh new roles, with all new characters taking up their iconic mantles. The DC Future State features an incredibly uh, incredible array of creative talent, combining award-winning writers and artists with new voices from the worlds of TV, movies, and animation. In March 2021, the regular DC lineup uh, resumes, continuing existing storylines from 2020 and introducing new arcs for the year. So that's pretty. So this is a, it's a it's a two month long 
big to do with character character mantles being reassigned and introducing new ones. And I believe, Joey, you asked this question when we were on break. What does this mean for the DC universe going forward? Like, what's the what's the point? Not the point. I'm not. No. Yeah. I was like, because I was reading the the release, and I was like, first of all, I get that it's line wide, but like. There are there are parts of the line that I will not be reading. Um, but oh, you don't want to read Grifters? Point. No, but like, but that's I think something that I think Future State, the way that it's pitched and the way that even like the press release kind of breaks it down, um, it's kind of open to that. It kind of organizes the books by like family. So like, if you're into the Superman books, like here's the Future State Superman books. If you're into the Batman books, here are the Future State Batman books. So like. In that sense, like, I'll probably check out the Bat books. I'll probably check out some of the Green Lantern stuff, right? Some of the, the younger, like, hipper characters. Like, that's stuff that I'll go for. Uh, Superman as well. I love Superman. So, like, Justice League, not so much. I don't like Justice League books. I've never been that, that into them, but whatever. Um, but I think that, like, I, I wonder, because these books are so exciting, and the creative teams announced are so exciting in a way that, quite frankly – even with like the new 52, not the new 52, the other one, Afterbirth, like, you know, <laughs> we, I, I remember having conversations on the show about like, if we look at all of the DC lines now, like all of the books are white men, like every single writer, like we had those conversations on the show. You look at the future state press release and the creative teams are incredibly diverse. Uh, um, like people that like we've been talking about on the show is like up and coming talents, people that are really breaking big in the industry now. So DC has a really awesome couple of months lined up here. Does that mean that Vida Ayala is going to be writing a Batgirls book in March, April, June, July after future state? Like, that's what I'm wondering, because if that's true, I will get their book 100%. But if this is just two months, that's fine too. I'll read Vida Ayala's Batgirls. But then I don't have to read any more Batgirls after that because it's not going to exist. So, like, I'm wondering what Future State means for afterwards. And that little comment at the end of the press release, like, the normal publishing line will resume in March. Like, what does that mean? Right. So I think there are two things happening. Well, I'm theorizing uh, that there are two things happening with this. I think the one is what I think we, to some degree, especially as I've, I've been doing all my DC reviews for these last however many months, have been talking about why does all this matter? What's the what's the point of all this? And the fact that this is all sort of coming out of death metal, which is obviously the whole story is about the impact that all these crises have had on the timeline and that being like a through story. And even in, in, in Justice League Odyssey and Young Justice and, and Justice League and Superman and all these different things, who did what, where and how, Legion of Superheroes is all related to that uh, my hope or wonder is if this is somehow going to be a way of bringing it all together and somehow making it all make sense to some degree but then i think the second part of this is that is as dc is sort of restructuring and relining and you know we're in this moment of diversity and, and you know and all these things i'm wondering if they are like okay let's grab a handful of pasta let's throw it against the wall and see which strands stick you know, and then see how that feeds into what we can do down the line. Because I wouldn't be at all surprised. I don't think anyone would be at all surprised if some of these new things here. You see, there's a Nubia book down there with Wonder Woman's Black Super you know, Sister. If that book, you know, is successful, do you think that they would hesitate to have that book on the stands? You know, in a a few months later, 
Yeah. So I think I think that's kind of I think there's a combination of things happening there right now. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's uh, there's definitely some exciting. Oh, were you going to say something? Yeah, go ahead, Steve. I'll follow. Oh, I was just going to um, I know we're not going to go through all of the books here, but I do want to give a couple of special mentions for uh, some friends of the show. Like Joey was saying, uh, Vita is going to be doing Batgirls. We got uh, a little bit down here. We got Sean Lewis. On Superman. Yeah, Sean Lewis doing Superman of Metropolis and The Guardian with uh, Cully Hammer. Uh, Hamner. <laughs> and, um, well, who else? We have, we have Becky Cloonan and uh, Michael Conrad doing Midnighter. And they are also, which I'm very excited about, uh, Becky and Michael are with Jen Bartell doing Immortal Wonder Woman. Sign me up for that one. Oh, my God. Yeah, but, dude. Bennett is back. That's right. With Marguerite Savage. Yeah, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, and Joel future. Jones doing a Future States Wonder Woman. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Riley Rossmo doing Legion mm-hmm. of Superheroes. That huh. sounds like fun. Yeah, and Althea mm-hmm. Martinez on the Nubia story that Aaron mentioned. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, see, there's some good stuff in here. Right. You know what now, I'm saying? Like, it sounds awesome, but, like, but... to what end? Like, where are we going after this? And I, I hope Aaron's right. Like, hey, you know, Vita's Batgirls really took off. Sean Lewis's Superman, like, great premise. People really enjoyed it. It's going to take us a couple months to get some books out, but summer 2021, hey, remember Future State? Well, the future is here, and the books are happening, you know? Like, so maybe that's the plan. Who knows? Uh, it could end up being a whole elseworlds sort of thing these these books were commissioned months and months and months back maybe even a year or so ago when dan didio was in charge and this was generation five and some of the hints for what these are going to be were leaked out in, in to the new york comic-con last year his whiteboard and we've had stories that are going to tie into it in detective 1027 and wonder woman 750 so they paid for these things they had an idea that this is going to be the this is going to be the line moving forward for apparently at least a year maybe even more if they were successful now you've got this two months which i agree if something really hits with readers they will definitely go back to it they're not going to know those numbers the pre-orders for these begin this week or next week rather when the previews comes out and stores will, will will start to let them know what seems to be the winners and losers going forward. But they're not going to know until the books actually sell. So as you're saying, Joey, we're looking middle of the year, end of the year, until they can pivot back to starting again. It's, I love some of the ideas of these. I think they're refreshing and new and diverse. And if they came out of a bad place and lead to something better, good job. Excellent. All right. Uh, should we move on? Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's do it. Um, Bob, why don't you tell us about sure. this uh, DC to distribute solely through you, – you can do it. Go ahead. Yes. He, he, uh, it was announced this week across the board and with letters to comic retailers. In the wake of the pandemic, DC pulled away from a decades-long relationship with Diamond Comics distributors and distributed through two new distributors set up by – otherwise in-business retailers. So you had DCBS, which was Discount Book Service, and they started Lunar. Diamond uh, also gave books to Midtown Comics under UCS. They have cut Midtown Comics out of the loop. Midtown Comics now has to buy books from 
lunar, as does everybody else in the country. Diamond UK will still be doing that. So you're down to this one distributor, and they are now asking re- new accounts, which is everybody who just set up an account three months ago, four months ago, to start again with a $500 monthly minimum hmm. at wholesale. Wow. Now, what is really tough about that, th- those, these are the books that we've delivered January 2021. January and February, I spoke to three retailers today. January and February are tough months for them. You're post-Christmas. We're also post-COVID and people doing their taxes and leases running out and all that sort of stuff into this. It's a, it's a couple of months where stores tend to pull back on ordering a little bit because there isn't as much traffic. People don't have as much money in general. Now you add the state of the world and now DC is doing this line-wide event for January and February. Hmm. This could be good in the sense that, wow, it might bring people through the door, but if I'm Joe Local Retailer, how do I know how to order these? Right. Oversized books with all new creative teams with new characters. Do I buy the 100 Batmans I did before when Batman's not in these books? If you don't buy $500, they ship all your books apparently at the end of the month. So you get your books three weeks late. Hmm. That's what I've heard. So I was told that today. So, look, having two separate retailers, I'm sure, caused problems where in some cases they were late in one place and early in another. And that's that's OK. And if they feel that Lunar is the way to go, that they're more efficient at it than Midtown Comics was, more power to them. That's their decision to make. Creating this new minimum in this marketplace with all brand new books strikes me as another shot that retailers didn't need. I guess we'll see, you know, you, you bring up a lot of good points. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what things look like in January. I can't even see past the next two weeks. Yeah. Generally, as someone who's in, been in retail forever, literally forever, 40 some odd years. Yes. I was in media retail, selling records, renting movies, selling movies, so on and so forth. People spend their money in November and December in a little tiny record store on Ocean Avenue in Patchogue. The Saturday before Christmas, somewhere in the middle 80s, we sold $10,000 worth of records to people. Nice. Right. In a store smaller than you can imagine. But that also meant that in January, you sold nothing. <laughs> you got your gift certificates back, which was great. You brought people through the door, but you, you, you the, the money you made extra – you're good to go. And most stores are selling gift cards, gift certificates. They're locking up the trade dollars and special orders ahead. And again, an event in January and February is, is a, a shot at doing something different than always doing it in the summertime where you're butting heads with Marvel. So I think it's a neat idea. I, I would love that they would, as some of the indies have done, Boom and IDW and Image and so on, can we make some of this returnable? Can you let the stores buy extra and send back what doesn't sell so they have a shot at attracting readers to this by putting up their a giant display of future state? Put up the posters. If you have a store with engaged sales help that can walk people walk people through it, as we're trying to do today, or people can listen here, certainly. It, it, it could be a huge success, or there'll be stores who under-order 
just to just to get through the month. And that's going to not reflect well on the quality of some of these books and some of these wonderful creative teams. So, DC, if you're listening, return them all. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Speaking of DC... <laughs> Don't we always? I, I won't launch into too much of a thing, but allow me to get up on my little box here. Uh, I decided to buy two of my DC books early, uh, meaning Tuesday, which is when they come out now. Finally, it clicked in my head that that's what they're doing. And uh, good old Comixology. Good old Comixology has gone through a lot of changes this year, and they've made a change to their new comics that I don't like. So normally when you go to purchase a book on Comixology, Comixology has a put-in-cart thing. And then once you've put it in your cart, you can go to said cart, you can look at your totals, you can review what you've got there, and you can, you know, sometimes you got to shave a comic or two off because you don't want to spend too much money. That's how I do it. But today, I go on there, and all that's available is a buy it now button what yeah so there's no there's no cart there's no nothing i am dying to see if this is the case tomorrow when i go to to purchase a majority of 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 my books i still have my pull list at my lcs but i am getting digital books through comicsology and i swear if if every title listed tomorrow has just a buy it now button I'm going to be so upset because there is definitely a chance that you could be scrolling and hit the wrong button. Yeah. And it automatically, like my, my, my smartwatch went off. My receipt was sent to my, my credit card or whatever. And like the minute that I touched Batman 101 or Harley Quinn number one, they were like, congratulations. It's already downloaded on your comiXology. You, you've won. And I'm just like, yo, I that's a little too fast for me. Like you didn't even give me time. You didn't buy me a drink. Nothing. Like <laughs> I didn't have any time to think about it. And you know, like you scroll through those pages, and if you happen to hit the wrong thing, you could end up buying a trade, like a fourteen ninety nine dollar trade that you didn't intend to buy, or like volume seven of some manga that you're not reading. And then what do you have to do? But fight with comiXology over it so i might be jumping the gun i might be i might be barking at nothing i'll see what happens uh new comic book day but dude that was a shock to go i still have i still have add to cart do you so steve there i'm trying to get on right now because for some reason comiXology is just not letting me on at all for whatever reason like Mm -hmm. on my ipad or my go go uh, pc but there's a setting that you can set to one click purchase it you can change it there and back every time you purchase something there's a pop-up that comes up that asks you if you want to say change that setting that's not what happened for me man i touched that button and they sent that shit through real quick no no i'm saying once that setting is set then yeah every time you click something it's just gonna to buy it so you might want to go to their homepage. i know for a fact that i didn't change jack squat no, so they're not they're going to. This is their way of tricking you into buying more. So you got to go in and Dude, manually unset it. They thrust this upon me, <laughs> and I don't like it. Well, thrust you know, it like, back well, at them. You'll, you'll learn them real good by not changing it back. 
<laughs> so yeah, change it back is what we're saying. All right. Well, you, you might you might have to walk me through it because I'm an idiot. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap this up here. Uh, does anybody have any any uh, anything they want to follow up with as far as this DC distribution malarkey? Malarkey it is. Malarkey it is. All right. Well, speaking of comics and comics coming out on New Comic Book Day, Aaron, what are you getting? Oh, hold on a second. Let me figure out. Joey, what are you getting? No, I got it right here. I had to to scroll. For God's sake, give me a second. Let me scroll. Never. Um, Okay. So Joey mentioned earlier we got X-Men 13 and Excalibur 13, uh, Black Magic 15, uh, FF 25, um, I'm a little behind, but I'm still picking up Aquaman, so probably Aquaman 64. Um, remember that book I mentioned a while back, Hidden Society? The last issue of that is coming out, so I'm excited. Um, I've been checking out Shadow Service, so Shadow Service number three is coming out. And then um, I'm going back to read Batman and Death in the Family uh, because I'm also going to watch the new DC animated movie that came oh, out. I'll talk about that next week. Choose Your Own Adventure yeah. animated so, film. So I'll probably do like a whole triple threat thing where I read A Death in the Family, and then I'll watch Red Hood, you know, the earlier movie, yeah. uh, and then I'll watch this just to sort of awesome s- see how it all plays. So I'll let you know next week what happened. That sounds like a great mm. plan. Uh, Joey, what are you picking up? Um, in addition to what Aaron mentioned, Falcon and Winter Soldier number four. Uh, Fantastic Four number 25 second issue of Iron Man uh, like I said before Chris Cantwell's number one was pretty awesome so I'm definitely going to pick up Iron Man number two something is killing the children number 11 Batman yeah. 101 um, yeah I Joker am. War is over let's see what happens uh, <laughs> and finally uh, a graphic novel from Boom called Sacrifice of Darkness mm. uh, which is ad- an adaptation from Roxane Gay uh, adapted from her own story with Tracy Lynn and Rebecca Kirby on it too looks really cool I'll definitely check that out as well hmm hmm Bob uh, along with what everyone's talking about Aquaman Fantastic Four so on Black Magic number 15 mm-hmm. this week sadly or good for the for my wallet. Metalman number eleven by Dan Didio. <laughs> <laughs> Only one more to go. I only have to waste you know eight more dollars and I'll, I'll be good to go. No. The final trade collection, Giant Days number fourteen, is this week, as well as Matt Fraction, Elsa Chartier's November number three. Oh wow. Yep. And if you didn't already buy it in hardcover, it, re-released by Humanoids this week is. Barbarella from the original French comic strip with a adaptation by Kelly Sue DeConnick. How about that? Yeah. It came out in a gorgeous hardcover from Humanoids a couple of years back at about $50. This is at popular prices, as they used to say. So that if you know anyone who is interested in the old movie, the original story is basically that. A lot of what you saw in the old Jane Fonda, Roger Vadim film. Uh, on a on a book book front, my library has notified me that it's finally back in because someone kept it for an extra three weeks. The rather – I'm being jokey just because – the rather cheery book, Fallout, the Hiroshima cover-up and the reporter who revealed it to the world. Oh, there you go. Joey, Joey do you – they still teach John Hershey's Hiroshima? No. Oh. It's a reporter for the New Yorker magazine who broke through – the government's censorship of what had actually happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And they broke it in 1946. And when I was a kid in school, you had to read Hiroshima. Stunning, stunning work of journalism. 
And this book gets to all that went on about it. It's by Leslie M. M. Bloom. Nice. Uh, let me see. All the books you guys were talking about, most of those. Uh, Faithless 2, number 5, also comes out this week. As I'd mentioned, I'd already picked up Batman uh, 101, and I also picked up the new Harlequin from, I don't know the writer, but Matteo Scalera, I believe, is the artist on that, and it looks, I saw some preview pages, it looks gorgeous, and I love Harlequin, especially after watching the DC Universe show. Mwah. Amazing. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it. Does anybody have any closing statements? Uh-uh. Wow. Really? I'm saving it for the goodbye. <laughs> All right. Well, just once again, I would like to thank Sarah and Bob and Paul for this week's episode's lovely interview. And we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. That is podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. We've also got talkingcomicbooks.com where you can find reviews and features from our fantastic contributors. And hey, if you like podcasts... You should probably go and check out Talking Valiant D&D Adventure and, of course, the ladies of Valhalla, who very soon are dropping a, a triple movie feature for this spooky season, including talks about The Craft, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and McGee's The Babysitter. So look forward to that. Uh, I know I am because I didn't get to hear any of it. I was in the house what was going on. I usually get previews of their shows and uh, I haven't heard this one yet. Looking forward to it. Uh, where was I in the thing? Ba, 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 Bob, where can our listeners find you? Old-fashioned email. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Joey. At Joey Ruccino. Aaron. At Aaron J. Amos. Sarah is at Geek Country Lady. Jessica is at Jarska for all the things. And Bronwyn is at Shiny Baby B. I am at Dead underscore Anchorus on the internet. So for Bob... Hey, Thursday the 21st is the Day of Wonder, Wonder Woman's birthday. So read some Rocca, some Gail Simone, watch the movie, just don't read the new one. <laughs> God, we're never going to have Mariko Tabaki on the show. <laughs> Somebody's going to tell her. And she's like, oh, fuck that. Um, so for Aaron. Ice Cube, 50 Cent, take a seat, please, next to your boy Kanye. Hey, <laughs> tell it like it is. Joey. Go vote. Yes. Go vote. Wear a mask. Oh my god, we're so close. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued. <laughs>